wonder though. Uh, I'll give it like four or five minutes, but hmm. So what build are you currently playing? Let's start with that. So I have been playing a Inquisitor build that started as a Penance Brand Ignite Elementalist. The problem with that is that the inbuilt mechanics of Ignite are really bad in a world where Explodey Chest is very easy to craft. Because you have to kill an enemy, leave its corpse, proliferate the Ignite from the corpse. And the problem that I ran into with that was, number one, Penance Brand basically hits everything in a pack anyway. And number two, the Ignite prolif mechanic is just worse Explodey Chest. Mm. So I switched to an Elementalist hit-based Penance Brand. And then as I started to push content, do 100% Delirious maps, I realized that Elementalist's immunity being tied to golems is a really good way to die. Because when if your golems dies, you're no longer completely Elemental imminent immune. You get frozen and then you get dead. So mm. I ended yeah. up, yeah, I was literally wearing a headhunter to keep my golems alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized if I'm going to be doing that, I might as well just make a build that doesn't use golems at all. So I switched to Inquisitor and oh, that was the best decision I made in terms of that build. Wait, you started Inquisitor, went to Elementalist yeah. and switched uh, back to Inquisitor? Started Elementalist, ended up oh, on okay. Inquisitor. Yeah. Okay, no, you, you planned originally and then yes. okay, went to mm -hmm. Elementalist during the planning phase before the building. Yes. Makes sense. Oh. And it was a great decision. I ended up going Pious Path and Inevitable Judgment because it's really hard to get pen on a converted explodey chest. So just ignore resistances. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the great reasons um, Inquisitor is so good, because it's a global penetration that counts for all hits, not just spells or attacks, but just everything that you do. Yep. And now I'm working on gear for my next build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is going to be a Cast on Crit Strike Volatile Dead Necromancer. Cast on Crit Style? No, oh, Cast on Crit Strike. Oh, okay, Strike. Hmm. I was thinking about doing like some sort of uh, memes earlier this league because I found a cost priest. I was actually thinking, but that would be a pipe dream because Castle Crit needs a really high hit rate in order to be good. But I was thinking uh, Frostblades <laughs> Castle Crit on an occultist for some reason. That that I've always wanted to play Frostblades on an occultist because occultist doesn't only have the chaos synergy but also the cold synergy. But uh, yeah. it, it just feels so ham-fisted ham that it's like more of a, a meme build that I would be doing. Mm. I could see it, but it would be weird if you did something like Hawa Frostblades and used Call to convert over from Lightning to Cold. Not necessarily very SSF-friendly, though. Hmm. Well, yeah, chat asks, how did the golems die? Because I was also wondering how the golems... I heard... I thought the golems are very survivable. Is it just pushing ahead in content and the golems were low level on the gems still? So even at a level 20 golem, they were just getting shredded by things like Legion or Kosis in 100% Delirious content. Hmm. Yeah, okay, 100% Delirious content is... Uh, yeah. Yikes. 
Yeah, uh, typically in something like a tier 16 map, their health didn't even noticeably move. Maybe it would if a Mariketh Legion got on one of them, but aside of that, it was totally fine. And once I put Purifying Flame into the build to give them extra regen, no problem there. But 100% Delirious content, things hit much, much harder, and especially Kosis seemed very good at killing them. I'm not quite sure why. I guess it has something to do with the fact that he typically does Fizz and Chaos damage, and I didn't have any minion resists, so they were likely very vulnerable to the Chaos. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, that's always in builds where you only use the golems for their added effects rather than as your, your main thing. Then you don't invest anything into minion survivability, or at least you don't want to. You can avoid yeah. it. And there, there's some really, really big clusters on the tree. Oh, I can't remember all the names, but is it Indomitable Army or whatever, the, the one close to Scion that gives so much fizz mitigation and resists? That sounds right. Mm. And so without those things, it felt pretty lackluster. And my original idea for the Elementalist had been to abuse the Shapers. So I was going to ignite with Shaper of Flame, deal cold damage. I was actually full cold conversion ignite and using cold conduction to shock with Shaper of Winter for freezing things and using blast freeze with effect of non-damaging ailments. This all fell apart, though, when I actually tried it in game because I realized the issue with blast freeze is for the freeze to proliferate, things have to actually be alive. Yeah, and, yeah, and when you kill them, they shatter, and then there's no corpse on the ground that yeah. can proliferate the freeze. That's always the problem with freeze prolif. Always yep. has been. And so I discarded all of that, and then I ended up just going with the sixty percent AOE for the exploding chest. Which I mean, yeah, it felt nice, but also it felt largely irrelevant after the AOE I could get on the tree and the headhunter buffs, as opposed to just going Inquisitor and ignoring resistances entirely on the exploding chest. Yeah, the, the freeze thing that reminds me, back in the day when I started playing and watching streams at some point, I think during 2015, I watched Project PT, where he was uh, doing a freeze prolif build with the old Chalk Nova. And old Chalk Nova, compared to the new one, uh, worked a little bit different because old Chalk Nova had a dead center where you wouldn't do damage in the center. So you would basically freeze a monster and then st stand next to that frozen monster have the monster in the dead ring so you wouldn't be able to kill it but everything that would walk up to you get, would get freeze prolif from that monster and you'd be able to kill it with your shock nova that was pretty that cool. is yeah that's a cool build my first build ever in path of exile was actually a freeze build it was specifically an ice shot ranger and this was way back there were no ascendancies no leagues even this was pretty early in the open beta and it was an ice shot ranger my whole goal was okay i figured out that frozen enemies don't have the ability to attack me can i hit everything hard enough to make sure it freezes and the answer was yes i can and then how do i live well Valpact back then was a very very good way to live it did lock you out of life flasks effectively because this is really old 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 Vol locked you out of life life flask Yes, it reduced the recovery rate from life flasks. I forget the exact wording. That must but... have been, been like really long time ago. Yes. This I was don't before... remember that. Yeah. This was before the first league was ever added even. Hmm. 
And so, yeah, I was able to permafreeze everything, including things like Piety, because Piety was, in fact, the final boss of the game. Ah, uh, that time, yeah. Yeah. And, I didn't uh, play back then. <laughs> it wasn't a good build by today's standards, but it worked at the time. Yeah, I mean, most things that you'd play back then, I, I just... I just watched a video of Ziggy D uh, explaining how to map an endgame from 2013, and it was just so essentially different from how the, the general pace at which the game was played was just so different. Yeah, it was so much slower back then. And also, fighting out of sync was one of the hardest things in terms of limiting factors on build design. Now it's crashing because too much loot is generated. Yeah. Yeah, the desyncing was a big thing where you really that was an additional layer of skill that as a player you kind of needed to tell when you could be out of sync and use the resync with the server command accordingly or use yep. abilities that would force a resync. I think certain movement abilities did. Yeah, that sounds about right. Although, I know Leap Slam was notorious for being the worst movement skill when it came to desync. Yeah, yeah, and Cyclone. Yep. Which is funny, because that problem came back recently when they removed the stun immunity from Cyclone. And now oh, you're getting stunned with Cyclone and you're desyncing. I, I hear oh. that. I haven't tried it myself, but I hear that from a lot of people that Cyclone does desync you now when you get stunned. I will have to find out about that because i'm about to be playing a cyclone build which it's not going to be stun immune but it is going to have 6k life so not many things should stun me but still there's going to be things that are going to stun me and it's going to be interesting to see if i desync and well i guess i might have to put complete stun immunity into my build if that is a problem well, never bad to have complete stun immunity so i, I was recently playing or this past week in Badger's Private League, which was a... Uh, you might have heard of it, but uh, I'm just quickly going to explain it for people in the audience who may not know what it was. And that's it's a private league that was going on for one week. Now, the minimum duration for private leagues is 10 days, but seven days was uh, you know the set limit in which you could gain points or gather points as a team. And everyone in the league, we had, I think, around... 1,200, 1,300 people got randomized into one of four teams. And every team had to score boss kills, player levels, delve depth, and unique item completion. Uh, unique item completion was centralized per team on the team leader. And based on that, via a point system, uh, a winner was determined. And of course, uh, I have to thank everyone for randomizing me onto the winning team. So I had nothing to do with the team winning. I feel... Uh, I played hard, but uh, what I wanted to say is my build was a Purifying Flame Minor Saboteur. And um, my first time playing that build, so I may have done some things right, I may have done some things wrong, but what I really realized is that it was so much better once I transitioned it to low life because of the stun immunity and the slightly higher life pool. It was just as a life-based version of the build, it was very, very hard to get enough life without dropping anything that I really wanted on the tree. Like, you kind of feel forced to travel to acro and phase acro, even though it's sort of point inefficient. But in the end, obviously, for the enormous boost that you gain out of acro and phase acro, it's worth it. But it 
yeah, just so many little things that you want to pick up that I ended up with like 4,400 life. And with that, it was not enough to not get one shot in higher red maps, especially when once there's damage mods on there. And if you didn't get one shot, you were very likely to get stunned anyway. So you would die in the next hit after uh, getting stunned. And just transitioning yeah. it to low life and using Chiyula for stun immunity. I mean, I, I had a presence, but I think Eye of Chiyula would have been just fine. Just that stun immunity allows you to outplay the enemies much, much better. So I, yeah, getting stun immunity in other builds is also, in every build, is pretty good. For sure. It's one of the things that I have kind of this checklist of things to add to almost every build I play. And stun immunity, it's lower on that list, but it's definitely on that list. Once you get ailment immunity. Near the top of the list is things like ailment immunity, also max res, because max res and fizz taken as these days is one of the few truly effective layers of defense. There's relatively few things that completely negate or counter it. And there's a lot of stuff that will kill you if you don't have it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and ailment immunity is so... Nah, not, I wouldn't want to say easy, but it's much more available nowadays to get than it was a year or two ago. Definitely. It's the most available it's been since Harvest League, because you can actually get it or get part of it on jewels. So there's implicit chance to avoid... Uh, well, there's chance to avoid stun, which will help if you want to be stun immune. Then there's chance to avoid freeze, chill, ignite, shock. If you combine all four, you get 10% chance to avoid ailments, which you can combine with other roles, things like Shaper Boots, to get 100%. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Shaper Boots, where you also get up to 25 from the bench craft on gloves and helmet, and then there's an unveilable craft for up to 35 on the chest piece, which is a prefix, so you can't always fit it in. But, um, yeah, it's just, just from the crafts that you can get Plus anointing crystal skin, that's already 100% if you roll them perfectly. Yep. You get 25, 25, 35, and the 15 from crystal skin. But if you pick crystal skin in the tree, you can get actually... Well, I guess you can get 5% for one ailment while pathing to the node. <laughs> yeah, and there's also thick skin, which a lot of builds, especially builds on the witch... or Sorry, not witch. Uh, shadow and ranger side of a tree will be taking anyway for the life, where you can get an extra 20% from filling that out total. Yeah, that, that's easily overlooked. It's overlooked, and if you're on that side of a tree, you should probably be getting Wind Dancer anyway, so it's right there, and it's a great layer of defense to help with your ailment immunity. The only time it's not really worth it is if you're something like a Pathfinder or Raider who's getting the immunity anyway, and the life notes themselves are only, eh, okay. But you're so starved for life that you take them anyway. <laughs> I think what I do personally at that point is I would take thick skin itself for the two points. I would skip the two below it, and I would invest in fettle clusters. Hmm. Yeah, fettle clusters are pretty good. Hmm. I think I'll just. Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure when Valor Mage will arrive, so I think I'll just. Put the windows and uh, the, the cameras into the windows, and we'll just see what we can do without Balor. Maybe we can uh, continue this very uh, interesting conversation.
while this, the podcast is officially running. Oh, defenses in Path of Exile and integrating them into build is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> it's also really important nowadays. Yep, more important than ever before. I'd say, in terms of common mistakes I see when people make builds, the biggest one is looking at all the damage numbers, looking at all the damage mods on items. How can I scale my damage? And really focusing on that and not looking at the how do I scale my defenses part. When I make a build, I always start with, you know, let's say the concept, oh, let's take my most recent character that I finished, the Penance Brand Inquisitor. So, all right, I'm playing Penance Brand. I need certain things to make sure Penance Brand functions mechanically, like I need Holy Conquest on a cluster. I want three Remarkable on a cluster, or on three clusters. After that, what are my defenses? What defensive layers can I integrate? How can I integrate them? And then what does that leave me left for the items? Okay, it takes up, for example, my Anoint. I used Hardened Scars there. And... Oh, Hardened Scars is so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if I'm playing a very fast build made for mapping, I'm not really going to have time to shield charge, and I'm not really going to want to shield charge in a lot of cases. So, I add Hardened Scars, and now I've just got Fortify. I can add a Taste of Hate, base Fizz for Penance Brand. It scales my damage, and it scales my defense. I got I was going to wear a shield anyway, so that I could meet the mana reservation for my auras because I was running double 50% auras in Hatred and Zealotry, so I can add max res to the shield, which also scales the defense from Taste of Hate. And so all of my choices were defense-focused early on in the build. Then I went to, okay, well, now what about for damage? Because, for example, my weapon, there's no defensive slots on my weapon. It's all just about damage. But it doesn't have to have defensive mods on the weapon. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm hard-pressed to think of any defensive mods that you can spawn on a rare weapon. Um, I guess a resist. You could have resists on there. I always I craft resists on my items in, uh, in SSF, especially Gauntlet. And then when you do vendor-crafted ones, then obviously you have a free suffix for the resist if you really need it. I can think of one defensive mod on a weapon, which would be Fortify on melee move skill hit on, for example, a two-handed sword. Right, right. They are pretty rare and pretty specific to certain builds. I'm going to try and put on a trailer or some gameplay in the background. Actually, let me just put on your gameplay. Why not? Hmm. Wait, that's not... Aha, here, there we go. Inquisitor Penance Brand. Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that approach would have probably helped me a lot with, um, with the Saboteur. Seeing that was my first softcore league in a long time. When I played it, I just, I just went all out on damage. Prioritized that over, um, over survivability. But I've been thinking a little bit about how to adapt the league uh, or the build as a hardcore League starter, possibly. I'm not sure about League starter, but like one of my starter builds. Possibly not the, the very first starter, but like the build, second build that you pull up once you get the first one in maps and you get some 
some basic requirements and you need something that can kill bosses efficiently at a higher tier and um yeah i i was thinking maybe working agnostic and uh, mind over matter into the build but then these mana items are so hard to get in path of exile i talked about it earlier with Balor mage like foible is tier one rarity and sometimes you don't see it in an entire league and I can't even remember when I last saw a Cloak of Defiance in my game. Well, like, if Harvest stays, you don't need Cloak of Defiance, luckily. You don't need it, but it's still a very good chess piece. Yeah, but it's very, very easy to force a Mind Over Matter chess piece from a Shaper base. Hmm. Yeah. So, at least with Harvest, there are alternatives. Now, should Harvest be deleted from the game? In my opinion, yes. That's for different reasons. Hmm. Maybe wait for a moment. Maybe maybe Balor comes with that topic because I think he has yeah. a strong opinion on that one as well. Yeah. Uh. In terms of miners, so the original core of the build that I used for my first purifying flame miner was actually a hardcore character. It was a hardcore miner that SK Cloudy played in. Oh gosh, I think it was Legion League or something. It was no, never mind. It wasn't Legion. I think it must have been Blight, because that's when mines were reworked. And I made my first purifying flame miner build in Blight League. From there, I adapted things and I worked on kind of fine tuning it. I played a life based version that used a bow in Metamorph League, and that was my league starter. And I found out from that that I hate playing life based miners. There's always just this really big awkwardness in terms of scaling the defenses. Now, ultimately, using a bow and quiver, I did end up scaling the defenses to a point where I was happy with it. I had about 8,000 max life. I had uh, Calm's heart on to help boost the life up. Yeah, I, I was like, yeah. you can't reach that amount of life without Calm's in, yeah. in that build. And so I was really happy with the defenses there. But that was definitely later on in the process. Then in Harvest League, I started a miner again. And I hated the life-based portion again. Ended up making Ball Lightning because Ball Lightning got accidentally overbuffed in the changes in Harvest. And so the damage from that build was just absurd. And once I transitioned to low life, everything was beautiful. And of course, in Heist, I started yet another miner. This time, I did not make the mistake of the past. I started as Poison Blade Vortex Assassin. And then I just completely pivoted my build did a full respec and went low life miner the second I started with mines, and that felt way better to me. Okay, that's a good, good idea. Yeah, I was thinking maybe to mitigate the problem, but then obviously I can't refund into saboteur. I was thinking uh, playing toxic rain mines on occultist because I've been. I mean, you can tell probably I'm a big fan of occultist, um, but. The problem with Toxic Rain on Occultist over playing it on a Ranger or a Shadow Ascendancy is that you don't really get that much attack speed, and Toxic Rain scales really well with attack speed. Yeah, which in that sense, doing Toxic Rain Mines would help because you negate the attack speed issue entirely. Well, you then, turn it into a throw speed issue, but yeah. Mm, throw speed honestly isn't that bad. It's easy to get. Yeah, a little harder in SSF, but as long as you have a zeal belt and crafted suffixes on weapon and helmet, that takes care of a lot of your throw speed issues. Especially if you use charged mines and swift assembly. 
Yeah, yeah. I, charge mind gets throwing speed? I didn't even look at it that precisely. Throwing speed per frenzy charge. We'll see. And yeah, you'll be able to get at least four if you're something like Occultist Toxic Rain Mines, because you'll have, you know, the curve over to the good mine nodes, which are right by the frenzy charge. Oh, I see a random Bellow Mage in chat. Damn. I think, I think we're going to get Bellow Mage on the show, guys. Are you hyped? <laughs> Everyone, a random Bellow Mage appears. Look here, Bellow Mage. I got a big, big ginger root that you can brew yourself a ginger tea with to wake up. Do you like ginger? Yes. In fact, I had ginger tea yesterday. Yeah, it's amazing. Very refreshing. I yeah, I hadn't been feeling too well when I woke up, and ginger tea is great for that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, amazing. Um, okay, well, we'll give we'll give Balor five minutes. That's great. Um, yeah, so uh, throwing speed on weapons and on build, and. Uh, where else was it? On charged okay. mines? On swift? Yes, and on charged mines and on swift. Also... Um, I think I guess there's an unveiled thing on amulet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think amulet as well. So you could use amulet in place of or in addition to, depending on what you need affix-wise. In general, I tend not to have the... A rare amulet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I tend to just use Chiyula because all of my miners, except for the one, just immediately jump to low life. Yeah. Yeah, low life is so good. You get so much out of it. Yeah, especially for something like Purifying Flame that scales off of base fizz. Because you can really run any auras you want. You can... Well, I mean, Wrath, not really, but you can run Anger and... Could if, if you, you want it. <laughs> if you want. If you had a Watcher's Eye with physical as extra lightning yep. well uh, affected by Wrath, you could. Yeah, then you can. And in fact, that's why I ran Anger on the last version of Purifying Flame Mines that I played, just because I had the Watcher's Eye with the physics extra. And at that point, eh, it's worth it. Yeah. And then Zealotry is good, Hatred is good. Oh, Hatred is so good, because mm -hmm. when you crit, like... I, the the moment I switched from zealotry, like the first time I went low life, I was like, okay, let's try zealotry. And then when I wasn't really that happy, or when I decided, well, it doesn't really give me that much benefit because purifying flame obviously already spawns consecrated ground, so you don't really need zealotry. Um, I decided hatred, and I instantly, the moment I made the switch, I loved it. So everything obviously was frozen and shattered, and it was a lot less problematic in delve. It's especially good in Delve. What I also really, really liked is the combination of Frost Shield, which I was manually casting, and Divergent Berserking, which ended up feeling really good defensive-wise. What was that second thing? Diversion of what? Uh, Berserking. So I'd use Chainbreaker. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and I'd just have Berserk as an offensive-defensive layer. Yeah, I think uh, Octavian also did that in his Explosive Trapper build. Yep, it's a really good setup. And if you're an SSF, if you can get the Chainbreaker, honestly, you don't need the damage from Divergent Berserk. Just put any Berserk in your build, and you'll have the awesome defensive power of a second Fortify layer. 
One note that it is a little bit restrictive on the mana, especially now that there isn't the built-in reservation. So I don't know if in SSF the amulet craft for chance to refund mana would actually be worthwhile. Mm. On the other hand, what I did is I used a Clarity Watcher's Eye. Hmm. Which one? <laughs> the, the mana recovery. recovery. Yeah. 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 I, it meant that I couldn't actually lay out all of my mines and start a detonation chain. I'd have to leave one or two. But if I left one or two, I had a really good chance of sustaining my mana and just going through the cycle. Hmm. So my setup was less about just bursting a boss 100 to 0 and more about sustained DPS. It still had some burst potential. It could, for example, insta-kill Conquerors, but it wouldn't do something like insta-kill the final phase of Cirrus. It would usually take two cycles. That's so okay. Yeah. Seeing that Cirrus is like fairly mechanical, and if you play it correctly, there's no, no harm in having it go on a little bit longer. I mean, in but, the last phase, yeah, it's I mean, a lot of random stuff can happen, but for the most part, if you're experienced with the fight, you can keep it under control. Yeah, and with the defensive layers that I had, I could just drop Frost Shield and eat a beam to the face, because why not at that point? Mm. Also, yeah. while I do have the uh, faster casting in my gloves there for the portal skill it wasn't solely for that it was to meet the 10 activations per brand for penance brand uh what kind of gloves are we talking about kalisa's grace faster casting gloves no 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 on my penance brand character i have faster casting gloves they're if I oh, remember okay correctly. shaper or elder yeah. or something like that shaper. influence gloves shaper yeah. yeah, Shaper's faster casting and faster prodge you can roll. Because I remember people crafting the Winter Orb gloves on Shaper bases. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 I was very, very greedy with my Penance Brand character because Harvest makes me greedy, and I realized that what I can do is perfectly balance a character to have exactly everything I need in POB, and then just print the item into Path of Exile and wear it. So I did... Ended up with only tier 2 faster casting, because I used a slightly lower item level base. There wasn't a duplicated base. I was using Sork Gloves with the Temple Mod for hits against chilled enemies, and then tier 1 life. There was someone who was just printing them out for about 2.5x each. And I bought that. Then I did add, well, I did imprint, add influence until I hit Shaper, just reverted it to clean the influence off if I didn't get what I wanted. Then I regaled, hit a resist, which is fine, because I could fix it later, and it happened to actually be high enough tier that I could just use it. And from there, I crafted Avoid Ailment as the last suffix. And then I... Wait, no, I didn't craft Avoid Ailment. That's a different pair of gloves. I <laughs> put some suffix that I forget now. And then I put a life prefix and crafted conversion on it. Nice. Version. Needed that on my gloves. I quickly wanted to say something that seems slightly unrelated now, but I wanted to close the loop back to where we were talking about how good low life is and uh, the mana thing, which that's some a point I didn't make was that low life is actually easier in SSF than the mana because it doesn't require you to craft a chess piece or find a foible. Well, I guess low life requires you kind of to go Chiula. 
but you yep. don't need the upgraded version necessarily. And Chevron's wrappings are so easy to farm in Scriptorium in comparison to uh, to randomly getting a cloak. Because I don't know, there is there even a diff card set for cloak? Not one that you can target farm, as far as I know. I don't think there is one. Cloak is insanely rare for me, at least. I, yeah, I haven't seen one drop in ages. Although it was the first uh, chest piece that I six linked in the game. Ever. Nice. I actually bought one that I wanted to link for profit. I was like, they're only like 2x. That must have been uh, somewhere in early 2015. So I, I, I leak started at HC and got some stuff together. And when I was at 2x, I just bought like a, a cloak. I was like, okay, let's six socket and, and attempt to link it and then just sell it for profit. And then I six linked it in like 42 fuse or something like that and ended up selling it for 18 exalted orbs or something like that at the time. Nice. I think the first item that I six linked, because for a long time I bought items that were pre six linked just to not have to deal with the massive amount of RNG. Because back in yeah. the day, if you wanted to six link something, what you had to do is you had to roll it until it was four linked and then 20% quality it and hope it goes to five, then 20% quality it and hope it goes to six. Because what? every time you applied a fusing, it would remove all quality on the item. Yeah, you know, I, I, but why did you have to four link it before and then apply quality? Just did, that, did that raise the chance of hitting a five link yes. when it was four link before? Because yes. I didn't know that. I, I knew that, it, yeah, that quality was important and that you added it every time because it consumed the quality when you used fusings. But I didn't know that the, the links before that were important. Yeah, so it had a higher chance. Now, it was still prohibitively expensive and it probably was straight up better to just quality it every time. But you'd spend, I'd like to say about 20x on average to six-link something back then. And if you had qualityed it on every single fuse, that cost would have jumped to 40 or 60x. Hello there. Just sneaking in. He was never gone. He was always here. No Just... one will notice. Have you found a correct portal? Yeah. I have no idea how I slept through my alarm, but I did. Well, Valerie, you can directly go ahead and tell us what was the last build you play you played, and where did you play it, and why is it the Badger's Private League? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the Badger Private League is the reason I'm so tired. I didn't sleep much. <clears throat> Poison Blade Vortex is insanely powerful. Um. That's what I was playing. It, I, I had day two gear forever. Three of my pieces I picked up off the ground before I even entered maps. And I was doing fully juiced tier 15 legion farming dunes and unlocking all of them and not really dying. And I didn't realize how powerful it would be on what, what is literally day two gear. It was able to do everything. Yeah, that's why. Super impressed. Yeah, that's why Poison Blade Vortex is one of my favorite builds to start and then transition into something else because I just don't have to invest in it. I grab whatever really, and then I farm currency and play the build that I plan to play in Endgame. I basically um, I got a six-linked carcass jack, and that was basically the, the only real upgrade I made past day two of the league. That was it. 
there were still people on like the last day of the league trying to trying to be like, oh, I still need org this and remove that and add remove this and stuff in global chat. And I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm wearing the same gear I was wearing on like day two, I'm level <laughs> ninety six, doing fully juiced delirium orbed tier fifteen triple legion things in day two gear. <laughs> like it's yep. it's fine. I mean, Terence the the well-known German uh, racer, Terence underscore, um, plays a lot of Poison Blade Vortex Assassin. And even in Hardcore, I think he got like a really high placement in Endless Delve with it. It's, it's just such a potent build. I've, I've never felt that strong on Day 2 gear. That's... Like I was, I'm so weakly geared on that character, and it was just still able to do everything. So, Lake Bearer yeah. is such a massive, massive, uh, massive boost early on. Did that still factor into how strong you felt on day two, or is that already mm. where it's irrelevant? I mean, I. I, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I never took the time to even plug it into Path of Building. I have no idea why I felt so strong. I just know it could do everything. Obliteration, probably. Yeah, they really helped a lot. Obliterations are insane, yeah. That's so easy to... Please. And so easy to farm obliterations. Like, they just... I think I personally dropped about seven of them during the week. As well as separately four or five cards, like four or five sets of cards. Mm. From day two onwards, we were just mass corrupting them. The whole team was just mass corrupting them, trying to get whatever yep. the corruptions are. <laughs> Is there a chaos uh, multi or something like that? There's uh, poison damage, power, power, power charge, charge on crit, frenzy charge on kill, I believe, and unholy might on kill, is it? Yep. Yeah. Unholy might on kill is insane. Although, also the the chaos cluster jewel super easy to craft. Like I mean, yeah. I made myself a three node, um, eight point cluster by the end of day two. Just, yeah, I actually I made it. Super yeah, easy. I used those as an example in a video on crafting as an example because they're so easy that I figure almost anyone can do it. Yeah. I've been meaning to revisit Occultist uh, because uh, the node got buffed, the obliteration explosions on Occultist, the profane bloom explosions are that's what they call mm. them. They went up from 25 to 40%. And then that plus two ones, seventy percent. I mean, no, not really. That's not how it works, right? Nope, you that is that how it topic. works. For those, for those, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah, I think what I would probably do is I'd take chilling presence. I think it, is it chilling presence or frigid wake. The uh, chilling presence is a cluster jewel thing. Uh, okay. Frigid wake is probably the occultist thing. Yeah. Frigid Wake, then, for chilling enemies to cause them to deal less damage to you, and freeze chill immunity. And then I would go Malediction, because 
malediction is required you, you kind of just you don't play a cultist without it and from there it's down to pops or exploding chest if i have exploding chest i'd skip the pops and probably go with the power charge investment stuff for the aoe and all that and otherwise i would go with the pops although stun immunity is also a thing you could just abuse es to have stun immunity on a cultist yeah, if you just get like one ES region craft or something like that. Yep. Uh, but you were talking about specifically poison BB now, right? Or, or. Oh, I just general occultist builds. General occultist builds. Because not every build benefits from malediction, right? Mm, I think almost every, if not every build, does. I feel like. If you're not picking Malediction and Profane Bloom, you've made a mistake making an occultist. Like, if you're not taking those two things, there's probably a better class. Hmm. Those are, like, think, the reasons. <laughs> yeah. Especially early league, those are the reasons. Later on, I do think you can drop Profane Bloom for a well-scaled Explodey Chest and take something like the power charge investment to give explodey chest aoe or take something like stun immunity but early on yeah definitely you start those two yep. and you build your build around that uh, and you always take them out really wait quickly update me what, what is what is malediction right now because it used to be the non-chaos is extra chaos but they took that away right it's one additional it's, curse and uh, and it was the one additional curse and malediction. Malediction is the uh, enemies that you've cursed. Ten percent reduced damage done and increased damage taken off the top of my head. Oh, okay, right, yeah, that one, yeah. And then the node also comes with curse effect, which which is like. Honestly, if I'm not putting at least two or three curses on, I'm not making an occultist. Yeah, exactly. No, no yeah. that's uh, just quickly pointing that out in chat. The the misconception that you they, those are not connected anymore. They're separate two pointers, like Tanky said. It's not. It's not. Um, not a precondition anymore to pick profane bloom for malediction. I yeah. knew that, but I I also remembered that malediction used to give you non chaos as extra chaos, and that they took that away. Yeah. Probably because there are very few ways to actually properly leverage it since it was a on-kill effect. Yeah, yeah, it was basically just for Blade Vortex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't rely on the wiki. There's not that many people who update it, sadly. The wiki hasn't been reliable in five years. I don't. I don't even open it. <laughs> well, I open the articles that I know have the right information because it didn't change in five years. <laughs> like every time, I I'm not sure anymore what the minimum item level is for a flask to roll adrenaline. I look it up, and every time I'm surprised that you can already roll adrenaline at eye level five, and I'm like, wow, okay, so already a flask that you drop in ledge could roll adrenaline. Isn't that also why races do those things the wrong way around? Like they go and open the tunnel and then come back 
to go get the flask to turn it into a higher level so they can roll uh, stuff on the, it. You're talking about the, the Tidal Island flask? Yeah. Tidal Island yeah. flask caps out at item level 4. You can't get it higher than I level 4. Does it? Yeah. But uh. I level 4 is what you need for freeze and chill remove, so that, that's what I uh, sometimes so do. I don't hand it in yeah, FHC because uh, I want freeze and chill and if you hand it in right after you got it, you usually only level three, and then it's eye level three, and then you can only roll what is it, resists and stun a recovery, eye right. level three. So, yeah. Fair enough. Hmm. Well, then, almost one hour into the podcast, should we address the first talking point now that we know a little bit where we come from and what we do in Path of Exile? <laughs> uh,. Two months into the league, are you still enjoying the additions to the Atlas? Are they still fun and interesting or feel worth your time? Who wants to go first? I'll let Bala go first here. So, yes, some of them. Some of them die off incredibly quickly. Yeah. Like, there's basically only... I think three zones that I even care about, maybe four. And now I do feel like I'm limited to just those three or four zones worth of maps. And so whatever Valdos, they shuffle into them. Valdos for leveling with Harbingers, Paywark for harvesting, then the one with the, the legions. Legion farming. And which is the and fourth one? Because the, I, on that one, you could be flexible, I think. Like, the other ones, are the, the first three are indisputably good. But Honestly, then, I'd have to open up the client to remember. The last but one. I, you don't have the client open yet? No. <laughs> yeah, I guess the last one would be Glenock Cairns for the Beyond Ava? Abuse there. Beyond Abuse, okay. I, I really oh, like the other yeah. stuff in Glenock. Yeah. The Alva stuff was just sort of like it was already so easy to make any temple you wanted. Oh, but I, temples are significantly better. Like the average room rank or room tier is way higher with those stuff, things. Right, but but I only temple. care about the two types of corruption rooms. Yeah, and it was already piss easy to make those. I wouldn't say piss easy. It still had RNG. You weren't guaranteed to get it to rank three. Even if you did it with the right tactic, like you still yeah. could get, you still could fail to get sent into the right room. And the fact is, which you're probably not taking into account right now, is that you never get sent into a tier three room. So if you upgrade more rooms to tier three, you're also more likely to hit the room tier three that you want to hit tier three because know, you're not I getting know. sent back into the tier three rooms. I know, all, I know all the math. Like I wrote, I wrote the guide on how to do it, but it was just really easy. Like I would say. Knowing what you're doing, 70% of your temples had a corruption room, if you did it right. One of the two. That was yeah, before, beforehand. Yeah, but one of the two corruption rooms. Or you, yeah. You, okay. Yeah. And, like, how many pieces of gear or gems do you really have that you needed that for? So that really hasn't excited me at all, because, like, I could already get all the corruptions I ever needed. Now it's just a matter of... Oh, I have to, um, I have to like buy things to double corrupt because there's too many of those around. So just, just eh. Yeah, I tend to buy things to double corrupt anyway. 
So overall, I like having more options for it. I also like that I can get more sacrifice chambers because those tend to be very easy money, especially early league when people don't tend to use yeah. the vials as much. That's fair. People don't like using the vials. Yeah. If you're gambling for a headhunter with your sack chamber, you are doing it wrong and you are costing yourself exalts. Most leagues, I did the math out, you will make two headhunters worth of profit in exalts upgrading a vial every single time. Mm, mm, mm. That's with generous odds for the headhunter. You could easily make far more than that. Mm. Mm. See, for me in, in SSF, I feel like I, I, I can never have enough good Alva temples. There's always like something small that I would like to double corrupt. Like early on, of course, I don't have the 2020 gems to use the gem corruption room properly. There's always something that I want to corrupt, that I want to sacrifice. And since they changed the Alva Temple or the, the Tier 3 room rewards, I also really enjoy the the Tier 3 Tormented Spirit room and the Tier 3 Atlas room that adds drops to every single uh, architect in the temple. Because it may seem insignificant if you just look at the drop from one architect, but if you have like, yeah, if you have every room at least a rank one room instead of a, an unupgraded halls or whatever. Uh, and, and every room has an architect and every architect drops mapping currency and is in the best case scenario possessed by a tormented, uh, what is it in the name? Embezzler, the currency one. You get some good stuff, potentially. But yeah. Not not necessarily stuff that you would care about in a trade league after week one or two. Mm. Yeah, a lot of that stuff, even week one, loses its value very quickly in trade league these days. Yeah. Feels like feels like day four and then you just don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. And for some things I was taking them off my filter day two. Just, yeah, oh, the, the old filter discussion. Bello always tells me about how he's looking to take more and more things off his filter earlier and earlier every league. Yep. Yep, and I mean, just using the gameplay on screen at the moment as an example, if my filter was much stricter than it is now, I probably would never crash. If it was any less strict, I'd crash every single map. <laughs> and this isn't even 100% delirious. Is this only 60, is it? Yeah, 60 to 80, depending on which map I had. And yeah. the main reason I don't go to 100 is it adds so much looting time and doubles my map crashes. Okay. <laughs> Have you tried the uh, minimizing hidden loot thing? Yeah, I just really don't like picking everything up after I finish the map. But I do... No, no. So I, I nearly doubled my performance in, like, Fractured and Delirious maps by m completely minimizing all of the non-shown loot. It turns, out, it turns out PoE is drawing all of your loot filter headers as loot drops, whether it's hidden or not. Oh. And, and so just minimizing all the hidden loot like, cuts down on all of the drawing it has to do by a very significant amount. And that really helps. I will have to try that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's been like that forever, 
and the option to do it all at once has existed in Filterblade forever, and just no one knew. It's just in one of the like quick or quick actions in advanced or something. You can just minimize all hidden loot, and it all becomes the absolute minimum size. And that helps so much. And you also say something last time about like using a, a filter as the baseline for the hidden loot. Where mm, it lets it lets you do doing something like that lets you play sh- slight shenanigans like having certain pieces of gear not minimized, and then when you press Alt, it becomes really easy to see those things. Um. I went as far as making all of the hidden loot actually transparent 100%. But then I could specifically pick things and make them not transparent. And suddenly I've got two loot filters in one loot filter. So I'd be able to push a button and like pick up armor scraps off the ground if I wanted to. Realistically, I've only used it for portal scrolls for when I forget portal scrolls. But there are a lot of other options. Yeah, I should definitely do that for Portal Scrolls as well, because there are characters where I forget to have a Portal Gem, and there's two things that I cannot forget on any character or I run into trouble. If I forget a Portal Gem, I'm going to be stuck in a map with no Portal Scrolls in my inventory. And if I forget Corrupting Blood Immunity, I'm just going to fall over dead, because I don't look at that debuff, because all of my builds tend to have it almost immediately, or just natural immunity. Yeah, For me personally, and engaging with the Atlas, it's a bit weird because I go through cycles with my builds. So when I was playing the Penance brand Inquisitor and doing a lot of mapping on it, I was definitely engaging with especially Valda's Rest and a little of the Legion stuff, a little of the Beyond stuff. When I was farming Harvest Craft, I was engaging with that. But right now, I'm crafting gear for a new build. So I'm not actually mapping at all, and I'm not engaging with the Atlas in any way, and that's just perfectly normal for me. Hmm. And so I would say, overall, they're fun. Overall, they are worth interacting with. But I also know that I'm not necessarily the best example because I don't engage with the game in a way that is similar to most people. Just, just a second, camera's going a bit blurry. I'm, I'm switching to US Central, because that's usually in the middle for everyone and looks better. All right. Oh, audio's back? Yeah, yeah. Should, should be only gone for maybe half a second or so. Uh, but when we're talking about the additions to the Atlas, like we just said uh, there's like four regions that are, are key and everything else is a little bit lame, but there's more additions, right? There's the new gameplay loop of, um, of uh, the boss encounters. And how, how do you feel about that now that you've um, not only had the actual league start, or at least Valor and I, but we've also done another league start in a private league? How do you think it holds up with repeated playthroughs that you have to uh, to progress a separate progression now on top of the, the normal Watchstone progression? Hmm. Does it really feel like an alternative progression? Because it's like both are mandatory, right? For me, it sometimes feels a little bit like they are both stalling each other. So it's, it's, it's buying the game more time. 
before it expires, so to say, which is a good thing, of course. It helps with the longevity, but at the same time, I've, I sometimes feel like, well, if I do this, then I don't do that. If I do that, then I don't do this. Like, as an, I feel like I could be faster progressing through my watchstones if I hadn't didn't have to do the Maven progression. But if I don't do the Maven progression, I'm missing out on the Atlas passes, which obviously I don't want to miss out on. So, where do you stand on that? I I kind of just ignore Maven. Um, that's not to say that I don't do it. It's just that I progressed normally as i normally would and just did maven fights whenever they appeared mm. and that still got me the first like three sets of passes in every zone pretty comfortably yeah and then i just it was a one week race so i didn't worry about it but the yeah. first and- time around mine was very scuffed because i didn't realize how it worked and i did two of the fights in the first zone ever and then moved on with my Atlas progression and didn't come back to that region. The region was done for a very long time to unlock Maven. Because if you don't do the very first fight in the very first place you spawn her, you can't spawn her in a bunch in in the rest of the Atlas. Oh. So I was in like late red maps with no Maven encounters and no Atlas passives and Ooh. In terms of progression for me, one thing that I did a lot of was I heavily focused on certain regions that I knew had things I wanted, and it let me actually ignore map progression a lot more than I might have otherwise, because I still don't have all of my watchstones from Conquerors. I will finish this league without having all of my watchstones from Conquerors, because I got the watchstones from the alternative system of Maven fights. Right. I... I don't think the system itself holds up very much for me in terms of repeat uses, where I did the 10-way fights to unlock the passives, everyone the Atlas. And I did a couple in Valdo's Rest early on, when it was 4 or 5x, actually it was up to almost 10x at one point, for the Valdo's Rest watchstones, because everyone was trying to roll auspicious. Since then, I have not done a single 10-way fight, because I don't want to do 10 random maps for rewards that are incredibly mediocre at best. Even if they were good rewards, I I like running one or two specific maps over and over and over again. I like running multiple maps. I just don't like going up to 10. In most of my regions, I'm sitting at about 7. So 7 is about the limit of the maps I will naturally run and enjoy the progression of. Unless the rewards are good enough, which the rewards from things like the Hidden, the Feared, etc., they are definitely good enough, and I've definitely set aside entire days just to farm those. Mm. Mm. I mean, I think it, that's okay because the Tenway fights were pretty rewarding early. Like, if you were just getting Guardian maps and stuff out of them in the first few days, you can do a Tenway fight and drop four Guardian maps to go fight. They're, they're significantly more rewarding when that stuff matters in the first few days of a league okay with it it just i just i just there's no there's no world in which once i'm done setting up i actually run 10 different maps like you'd be lucky if there's 10 maps on the atlas i want to run total let alone in one zone (laughs) i just don't i just i i'm i'm very 
single track down. These are the maps I like running, and then they're the only ones I want to run. Other so maps the incentive provided to rotate through different maps via the uh, Maven invitation system for 10, ba- 10 boss fights is not enough incentive for you to uh, deviate from your uh, one to two map plan. No, but and even if it was, that would mean that I would be forcing myself into unfun content that I don't want to do. And I'd be hating it. Hmm. Glad it's not good enough. Because I don't feel like I'm missing out by, by not I don't, doing it. <laughs> I don't think it would be possible for it to be good enough. It yeah, might I don't be. Either. Yeah. For an average player, I think it very well might be possible. But for anyone who can do things like set up sextants and run fractured maps, I don't see it being possible because if the rewards are equal to running fractured maps, then all of a sudden, everything it offers is just going to have no value anymore. Yeah. Hmm. And as a system that's good for most people, good as an early game progression system, I'm okay with it. I won't necessarily engage with the 10-boss aspect very much myself, but I don't find it to be, you know, offensive that it's in the game or annoying and detrimental. It's just, it's okay, I'll use it early, I'll progress it, and then I'll forget about it until the next leak. And honestly, probably the more casual you are, the more useful that is. Like, the, the less efficient you are with your time, the more rewarding that is in comparison to what you're normally doing. Definitely. So if you're out here doing fully sextanted, fully scarabed, fully juiced up tier 15 and tier 16 things with delirium on them, or legion farming, or whatever... Your your time has become a lot more valuable, and doing ten different maps is now not efficient. But if you were just a mapper, just mapping around the place, those ten way fights would be a, a spike in your money, right? Like that would be definitely ah, excellent. It's time to do this again. So that's probably a good thing. That's probably yeah. one of the few things they've done. That's better this league. That's better for casual people than it is for like no life degenerates like myself. Because <laughs> that's they made a lot of changes that benefit me over it over casual oh, people. Yeah. Way way too many, by the way. But yes, and that happened a strong. lot. And then so at least this is one that goes in. I think maybe goes in the opposite direction. Yeah, I agree entirely. Hmm. Hmm. How necessary are the 10-way boss encounters in order to access Maven? Assuming that you're not going to buy the Maven splinters, you get a lot of the the Maven splinters from the special Maven encounters, right? From the hidden, feared, and stuff. You get, like, huge stacks of them. So I would say the 10-way fights are detrimental if your goal is to farm Maven, because they take much longer than something like the Hidden, and they have significantly less splinters as a reward. Yeah. I, I would agree. Sense. Doing the Breachstone ones are by far the quickest. Yep. Like the four hidden... Breachstones? Oh. Yeah, that's what I used for a lot of my farming. Yeah. So quick to run. <laughs> and then the feared is the most rewarding, but only if you have multiple accounts, 
to basically clone your investment on something like the Cortex. Yep. Would you mind explaining that real quick? Sure. So let's say you want to... Multi-accounts, so you're multi-boxing on the same... Okay. Not really multi-boxing. In this case, you're just bringing other accounts into the instance, similar to how if you bring multiple accounts into the instance and you capture a beast, then everyone gets the beast. If multiple accounts are in the instance when the maven witnesses something like the cortex, everyone gets credit for that. And then from each individual atlas, you would open up the feared, go in on the account, start it, leave or die, and then kill it on your main character. So you buy one cortex, which last I checked was about 3x, and everything else is, let's just say, 2x for the Uber Elder set and 1x for the Adziri set and the Chiula combined. So you're spending 6x and you are getting 6 feared, as opposed to spending 6x and getting 1 feared. Wait, but then you need 5 accounts on top. Yes. Yep. The problem is in software trade, because people are using multiple accounts, it's not really economically feasible to solo farm the feared anymore. You don't necessarily need to multi-box it yourself. You can always do rotors with other people. Yeah. Are you? Everyone brings one set, and you just do one, do the do all split, and do your own. You know, finished fight. Do another round on someone else's, and then back again. But that's the way to make profit on it because the people doing that—that's what they're doing. They're either doing it with friends or they're multi-boxing it themselves to get six times the amount of rewards. I actually hate that as a gameplay yeah, thing. I hate that, I, that it's that it forces you into that. Yeah. So I, here's the other option, though. The other option is it only works for the map owner, and if that's the case, any group play or any support gets shafted. And I don't like that either. Like, I want to be able to take a support with me and have them also progress their Atlas and get the fights. But Absolutely. as soon as you do that, you unlock the option to abuse it in this way, which I don't like. So would you say a fair middle ground of that would be for everything except the special encounters, the witnessing works exactly as it does now. And that for the special encounters, only the map owner gets witnessed. So that way, if you're playing in a group or playing with a support, you would have to give them a feared set to unlock their feared for the Atlas passives. But for everyone else doing just the 10 ways or whatever, you can share it with your friends, you can make a public party, whatever you want. I think so. That would be better. Expensive stuff. The the big ticket items. That would make sense. It would have to be all the big ticket ones, though, like all the ones from the center atlas. Yeah, basically. exactly. That the center ones would follow slightly different rules, but everything else would be shared. I feel like that would be okay because it would sort of it would still let people play in groups and have a support and not leave that support totally shafted at the end of the week when they want to go their own way. They'd have progression done and everything. But I feel like that would be fine because all you would do, all you would do with your support is at some point during the week, you would do one set of those things on their Atlas. 
And as long as everything else was progressed, it would be fine. And yeah, that would and- straight up halt the people doing like five multi-box fights. I also think it would make doing it solo more worthwhile because one thing about the Path of Exile economy is the more available an item is, the less value it has. So because you can take one set for the feared and split it into six feared, right now it is not profitable to do that unless you split it into six. Whereas if it was one for one and that's all you could ever do, most likely we'd see something like Bottled Faith is 12 exalts instead of it being around three exalts. And so all of a sudden, there's an incentive, if you have a support, to bring that support and do their own set, unless you're just an asshole and not nice to your supports, in which case, uh, <laughs> play solo. Yep. But you want to do the feared multiple times, because with that support, it's going to be really safe and easy for you. You can still bring them into the fight, they can still do it with you, in terms of killing the things. It's just only one reward, and then you split it, and you do two sets or five sets or whatever... And all of a sudden, you're making more money as opposed mm-hmm. to you treat it as you're writing this off for the cost of unlocking the Atlas. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I'd be, I'd be a fan of that. I wonder if there's anything else that should apply to. I can't really think of anything. That seems like the most important thing. Like, there's nothing else that you share that's this important. Like, yeah, you share beasts and stuff, but and that makes like beast rotors a thing. But like, I'm I'm fine I'm fine with all of that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- and- I, th- I still think uh, the difference between doing rotors and not doing rotors on beasts specifically would be way too big. I don't. Oh, it is. Able it's able to multiply just like that with the player number. The difference is a mirror a week versus a mirror a day. If we're talking about the highest end. Yeah. But, but it doesn't devalue beasts to the point where it's not worth running beasts at all if you're a normal player. It might not be worth running, say, a gilded bestiary scarab. But it is totally worth running all of your Einhar missions and you still get value from it. So I'm more okay with yeah. that system staying as is, even with the very blatant abuses. It's the highest number of beasts that you have seen in one map. Uh, I don't know, but I do know that a friend saw three of the split beasts and captured three of the split beasts in the same map. In one map? Yes, in one nice. map. And he did have six accounts in the map for beasts. Oh, okay. That's crazy, I was asking because I I ran a moon temple in Badger's private league where for some reason it spawned 35 beasts in total. It was in in the region with the beast stuff, though. Hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Trin's End, I think. Yeah, it might be Trin's End, yeah. Yeah, Tyrn's End, if you use the mission, it has a chance to replace basically everything with beasts. I... Yep. Never got that to proc, but I also got bored of beast farming to proc it for an example after something like 12 maps, so. Farming just not my thing. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just play around with those things. I'm not all about efficiency, but I'm just 
yeah, coming from that SSF place, I just I just use my resources when I have them instead of thinking, hey, what what would be the best thing to do, and then just buying the resources for that. I'm just like, hey, what do I have today? Oh, let's let's use that and get rid of that. Use my beast scarabs, use my Einar missions, run them in that region. And when I'm done with that, then I move on and I do something else somewhere else. I don't know. I'm just I, I just don't really like trading for things. I'm also we'll go into the private league stuff a little bit later, maybe still more, or maybe that's a topic that that we'll have to skip because of the time restrictions. But one thing I really quickly wanted to say is also like, yeah, do do really, I'm I'm not that vocal about things in in global or trade chat. I I just really don't like acquiring things from other people. I don't like the process, even in the private league where you basically got handouts. I feel like a lot of people got way more out of that than I did because other people were louder to scream in global chat. Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. Does anyone have this? Does anyone have that? And instead of, you know, me just asking for things, which a couple days into the league, I was a lot more comfortable doing that. So I, I actually was able to progress a little bit better then. But um, I, I just instead of asking for things, I just wait until I get them myself. And I just set that as a goal. Because hmm. I always feel like I'd rather play the game than playing typing in chat. Sorry, well, like what, that that thought process, like doing that, all that does is hurt your own team, right? <laughs> like that's not good. Yeah, I, I realize that. That's, yeah. that's actually anti-helpful. Well, uh, I don't know. I think I think in the early couple of days, a lot of people were doing better things than what I was doing with the things that were they were given from the team. So it's okay that they had a higher priority than I did. So in terms of normal path of exile, I am the absolute extreme opposite of that, where I buy everything. If it is not significantly more economical for me to craft or farm it myself, I'm just going to buy it. And I'm not going to think twice about that. Yeah. I actually, like, I hate trading, and I still buy everything. Like, I, I hate trading, but you know what I hate more than trading? Picking up gear off the floor. Quicker I can hide all that on my filter, the better. <laughs> yep. I don't hate trading. I enjoy trading because, well, mostly because of the economic advantage that I am able to generate by leveraging it. So a good example of this is I got a cluster jewel, a megalomaniac that I got via live search because I was considering playing a build. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to make a bunch of live searches for megalomaniacs that might be good. If I did not trade, my odds of getting this item were zero. It has on I'm it. not getting it. Fettle, Sublime Sensation, Cooked Alive. There's no okay. cluster with those three specific nodes on the market in Softcore, Hardcore, Standard, Standard Hardcore. Mm. <laughs> Quickly looking up what Cooked Alive is. Enemies ignited by you have minus 10 to fire resist. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, those are good nodes. It's not, like, particularly insane insane, although it's really good to have those three together. But when you're after a very specific three, it doesn't matter what three it is, they become incredibly rare if you're after a megalomaniac with those on them. Like, that's, yep. if you're like, I need this exact three, that's, that's very, very, very rare. <laughs> yeah, and it's why I do so many live searches and multivariable live searches. Do you not have, um, are you not just getting timed out constantly now, though? Oh, uh, no. Okay, I don't know how you've avoided that. I cannot have up more than a single live search anymore. 
If I have you use one any add-ons? Um, meta trading, but that shouldn't do anything. Hmm. So, I use one extension and no other add-ons at all in terms of either the trade website or the game. Mm. It could be that just because I have... I get timed out if I go over 10 or so, but if I have around 7, which is my norm, I don't tend to get timed out on them. I get timed out constantly now. It's driving me mental. Literally, I can have one whoop up, and that's it. Hmm. Uh, you know what? There's no way they can stop me. So I can say this. So I, I'm I'm lying. I have about eleven loops up because I can have exactly ten up on a new account that I made purely for trading that I use on a different browser with a VPN to pretend I'm coming from another place, so that I can have ten more loops up. It sounds like you did something that got you flagged. Yeah, I did too much trading. I my normal <laughs> excuse me. My normal league start system has about 45 different tabs open with different weeps on. Yeah, I surprisingly don't tend to exceed 10 because what I will often do is put more variables into a single whoop rather than add Yeah, but I'm looking for a bunch of different things. Well, I'm, I normally have whoops up for everything I could possibly need for my entire build. Also things that my friends are going to need for their builds, and then also maybe stuff that I know will make me money. Uh, unless it's directly tied to a crafting project, I don't ever look for just stuff to make me money, because I will make enough from whatever crafting I happen to do, and I don't really search for items for other people ever. Mm. Fair enough. Hmm. So yeah. order to, uh, please, please, if you have something that you want to say. Uh, so I think it could just be a matter of, because I don't tend to exceed 10, that for whatever reason, I've never been flagged despite doing a very high number of trades, because I'll have a whoop that will go off for four or five different items sometimes, but for all relatively rare items. And I just group it by prefix suffix. And if the prefixes and suffixes don't cross over, I'll never get false positives. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll have to be more. I just don't. Like, I get, I get that the trade site crashed and that that's why they put all these things in. I get it, and I, I don't know how to program. I don't know how to fix it, but I do know that it's absolute garbage and that it should be fixed. <laughs> yeah. Wait, weren't you fixed. saying the other episode that the trade in Path of Exile is the best implementation of trade in any game ever? That is very, very different from the mechanics behind it working. The system <laughs> we have, the idea we have is the oh, best the idea. idea okay, yeah. the, the specific mechanics sometime, like, you know, the actual reliability of the system is trash. <laughs> but those are, those are different things, right? One of them I mean, is just... I mean, in theory, if it worked, it would be the best. Yeah. Yeah, when it works, it works and it's great. It is by far the best training system that any game has ever had when functioning. Um. <laughs> That's good. Um, I was thinking about um, moving along a little bit on the topic list as a slightly delayed arrival of Balor Mage. 
What you hear on about? I was here the whole time. <laughs> we just didn't notice you. It was uh, we've been talking for such a long time, and and then all of a sudden I, we're like, oh, Balor was here all the time. Yep, I was really quiet. I just didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, makes sense. That's the story. <laughs> uh, actually. Actually, I think we covered this as well. Um, Tanky, do you want to quickly give your uh, 10 cents on the uh, Maven fights, maybe? on the How many times did you fight Maven, and how do you like the fight so far? So I have fought her a total of five times. One time I went into it totally blind, and as a result, bricked the encounter, because there's yep. a lot of things that really aren't great if you go in totally blind. It's something I do with every boss that isn't just insanely rare. Then... From there, I farmed her four times. I'm not a fan of a fight at all. I'm not a fan of a fight because I do not like the fact that it is incredibly unrewarding for an end boss. Absolutely. If you compare it to something like Uber Elder, or if you compare it to something like Cortex, yes, there's the Maven's Orb, but there's nothing else on the fight that makes me go, oh, that's really interesting. And there's no chase item that I can really see from it that's, oh, wow, that's amazing. There's no Mirror Tier Watcher's Eye. There's no Eternity Shroud. There's no Perfect Nebulous. Well, that's got nothing to do with the fight, though. That's a reward structure. You know, like the reward structure, you want it to be more rewarding. That's got yeah. nothing to do with whether the fight Fair. is good or not. So the mechanics of the fight itself, it could be because I play very strong builds, but I found it very boring, even the first time. I found that there was a few mechanics I had to pay attention to, like the rotating beam that makes you basically heal immune and minus 10 all res, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And most of the others, I could just kind of stand in them, and they didn't do anything to my character. I'd drop to like half, and then I'd heal up, and then I'd continue with the fight. I also really don't like the memory game at all, because it is very hard to see, and it's very annoying as a result, and so my experience with fight has been building my characters with enough DPS that I can just completely skip the memory game in the final phase. Mm -hmm. I don't even try to look anymore. I just let the beam spin around for a bit, and then when she starts the expanding circle thing, I just teleport out and in and skip it. Yep. This is the only part of that fight that I hate, and it's because no matter how many times I do it, I can't remember it. I don't have a memory. You can't ask me to remember like that. That's not. Oh. I do reaction. That's. Yeah. <laughs> For me personally, I don't have a problem with the memory part of it. I have a problem with literally being able to see it with the spinny beams and with everything else that's going on in that part of a fight. That there are times where I just miss part of a sequence and I know it lit up. I have no idea which section lit up. <laughs> just that it wasn't the one at your feet. Yes. <laughs> like, well. This one didn't happen, so it's one of those. Right. And the problem with that is, if it's the fifth or sixth in the sequence, good luck. Yep. Yeah, I think one wrong is okay. Like, the worst thing that happened to me so far was that I missed the start of the sequence, and I memorized the sequence starting from the second one, and then I realized, oh, it was only five, so I missed the first one. So it could be any of the other, like, or any of the ones that is not the second one because it's never two in a row so uh yeah that, that was a little bit tricky for me 
because then it, the, the sequence shifted. The way that I memorize the sequences is in, in pairs of three, right? So I go top, right, top, left, right, left, or something like that, right? But then when, when those pairs moved and I had like right, top, left, right, left, in my head and i was like oh wait but there's no one coming okay then i needed to shift those and it, that was too much mental too much overload for me but uh, other than that i really like the memory phase but i talked at length about that already on the previous episode so not going to not going to uh indulge in uh, in my love for obscure mechanics and boss, fight, boss fights and poe i will say though that that i agree with you tanky that it's it's pretty much impossible to do the fight deathless if you go in blind and i think some things are very counterintuitive and specifically the expanding bubble uh, in the nucleus phase when you fight the bosses uh just feels like a, a silly silly way to catch people off guard who have never done the fight before but once you've done it once and you know it happens it's impossible to die to it mm. so it, it just yeah. feels like a cheap first time kill definitely and that was the first thing that killed me out of a fight i was going through i was going through and then it does the expanding nova and i'm like what do i do because i hadn't really been paying close attention to the outside edge of a fight because yeah. i was looking at the dangerous yeah. thing on my screen which was right in front of me and then i go oh wait what do i do what do i do uh i'm just gonna pop defensives and then it killed me through all of my defensives i believe it's just a kill no matter what you have up oh i've seen people oh. tank it what I do want to say is that I really, really, really like that that mechanic pretty much kills you. Like, you can build specifically to defend against it. Your character's pretty meh otherwise. Um, but I really like that it actually kills you. You, you just, your, your good build amount of tankiness isn't enough to just ignore the mechanics, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, that also killed me when I went in blind. Like, uh, okay, what's happening? What's happening? Where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? Uh, okay, I'll just stand here. Nope, dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I really like that they're doing new things, but I hope it's not the last boss fight they add this year. I hope that there's going to be more stuff and. You know, just along those lines of the criticisms that you brought up, like, I mean, if loot is really like, like a, a deterring factor, then sure, they, they could probably add some specific drops. Was it Eternity Shroud was in the game for always since uh, Uber Elder was in there? Wasn't that added later as well? I believe it was added later, yeah. It was just for Watcher's mm -hmm. Eyes. I, for me, I feel like the problem with having a big endgame boss fight is if it doesn't have a chase item, the thing that people get commonly usually becomes farmed to the point where the price does not make it worth doing in a trade environment. So if you look yeah. at the Ritz versus the Maven Orbs, between the Ritz and the Elevated sections, you make, I think the average is an Exalt per kill at best. But with RNG and Variants, you could easily lose 10x before you end up balancing it out. So there needs to be something to chase to say, well, but I could get the Starforge, or I could get the Eternity Shroud, or I could get that really good Watcher's Eye to push you to do it, even if you're getting meh returns for a while. Or just, like just make your or... average person 
excited to do the one that they've built up because it could do something cool, right? Yeah. Right now, you just don't you just don't run the one you've got if you're if you're a less playtime person. You've just got the one you're already familiar with the fight. You've done it before now. It's now just not worth doing it when you when you get your one together. You just sell it because there's no reason. There's no nothing nothing to get out of it. So there is that. You could get lucky and get the Maven Sword, but in my experience, it's it's so inconsistent. I've done like 15 Mavens on Standard and I've got one Maven Orb. But a Maven Orb isn't really a big ticket item though. No, I mean, the thing is the Maven's Orb in in Standard, for example, would be 34x and the Maven's Rit, the the access to the thing is like 6x. So if you get one in five, that would already be profit. And then if you get lucky, then it would be a lot of profit, but I didn't get lucky. Yeah. I think it's either one in four or one in six. I forget the number, but it's one of those two. And the way it ends up balancing out is in softcore trade or the league softcore trade, you basically pay for your attempts with the orbs that you get. Yeah. And so anything else is profit, like the elevated sextants, the uniques, etc. But they aren't exciting. And, you know, to say, oh, well, I'm doing a hundred of these and yes i will make a hundred x after doing that is fine but it's a lot less exciting than oh i'm going to do a hundred of these and i'll make a hundred x but i might make a hundred mirrors you're never going to but there's always that little teeny hint in the back of your mind that you could get something amazing if you keep at it like i could get a triple hatred watcher's eye like it just it just could happen i could just run an uber elder get a triple hatred watcher's eye could just drop like that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> I've ne- I've never seen one, but it could. Right? What yep. would you say if Maven could drop influenced items with elevated mods, just like that? Oh, that'd be interesting. Ooh. Like just completely random from all the tables. Yeah, exactly. Basically, so that. Yeah, but yeah, well. Maybe a chance to be an elevated mod or, or one guaranteed item with a guaranteed elevated mod, just like, you know, influenced items drop with one guaranteed influenced mod to begin with. That could be interesting. I feel yeah. like I feel like that wouldn't fix the problem because most people don't really know about crafting things and won't even see potential in items. Like I've like I've seen people re-roll over items that were two harvest crafts away from being 100x items. Oh, that. Oh, the worst is when someone comes to you asking for a craft, and you know if you use the craft, you're going to ruin the item, and they want it anyway. And I've just. Oh, there have been times where I've been like, I'm not going to craft this for you because I'm not going to ruin this item because the method you're talking about is going to destroy it. (laughs) I'm like, you've got you've got like a one in eight chance of success, but if you just do it another way, it's guaranteed. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Although, if you could get multiple elevated mods on an item, I do think it would add that, you know, wow factor of let's just say you get an explodey chest with explodey elevated power charge on crit, elevated consecrated ground. That's an amazing item that requires no further crafting and it's going to be really, really rare. Hmm. I don't know. Just I feel like it needs something. It need does need that 
that big chase potential that will almost certainly probably never happen to me, but could. I just need that chance. <laughs> then I'd probably do it. Otherwise, I just I just skip them. Yeah. I will at some point do like 50 of them back to back just to get really comfortable with the fight. But that will just be me burning currency to get used to the fight so I can do it really early league next league. When it's still worth it. Yeah. When I'm one of the people that are like the 10 people that are there doing the fight right now, then it'll be super worse. Hmm. Yeah, do you see any uh, potential for adjustment of the new endgame systems uh, periodically, just like we see uh, adjustment to the Atlas, where maps get shifted around in tiers and regions and stuff like that? Do we see any, any potential for the passive trees exchanging passives between each other or moving positions from region to region? Or you think that will remain static for a while? Mm. I hope, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think any of them will change. I think they'll just shuffle maps around. I think for the next three to four leagues, they'll stay the same, unless there's some sort of influence. Like GGG feels that too much currency is generated in Baldur's Rest. So they're going to nerf Baldur's Rest specifically, or that Harvest is too common, so Hayward Hamlet's going to get nerfed. Outside of that, I see it staying <laughs> the same for, yeah, uh, for three to four leagues, and then getting a big change, rework, etc. The reason I think that is, when things get too, too stale and too, too fixed, GGG tends to make more sweeping changes. It's going to be about the time for another expansion in about a year, and... That's, I think, when, if ever, there's going to be something new added. Also, with future content, maybe certain things will be taken off the tree and new things will be added if a leak mechanic is very conducive to being added to the tree. Right, true. So if Ritual goes core, there may be some Ritual passives in some, some zone, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I would love it if the passives were changed out every league. Like... You know, what's available on our Zana crafts and stuff is rotated around every league. But I feel like that's too much work and it's not going to happen. Yeah, Trying I agree. Trying to them all every time. Like, I would love it, but I don't, I don't see it happening. But it's also an important, important, uh, a thin line to walk for the de developers where you kind of want to shake up the game enough so that it feels sufficiently new, but you don't want to scare people off who are returning players, and you don't want to give them a huge catch-up study session where every league they have to learn for 10 hours what is new, which already, like, there's a lot of things changing every league and a lot of uh, yeah. adjustments that you need to catch up to if you're a returning player. I mean, at least, like, I know what I'm... I know what I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying Legion farming. That's super fun. Still super profitable right, even right now. Um, I actually stopped running Fractured Maps and started running this purely because it's easier and less investment. And I just have fun doing it. But at least next league, 
it'll be shuffled maps. There'll be different maps there. Maybe maybe I won't even like a map there and I'll I'll go over to Valdos or something else. Right? Like at least shuffling the maps around is gonna make a difference. It won't just be like, oh you just run this map forever. Yeah. I liked Legion farming early on. When I switched to a Penance Brand character, I stopped liking it because of the freeze bug. Because I had a almost 100% chance to trigger that bug. Freeze bug? Yeah. Uh, if you froze an enemy that was phased, they would just stay frozen and stop phasing. And so the blacksmith boss of Dune's map, where I was farming my legions, I would put a pen spray on him, it would explode, he would be frozen, and he would just stay frozen unless I left the instance and came back. <laughs> Apparently hitting him for over his maximum life bugs him out and permanently freezes him. That um, that would be annoying. <laughs> I would find that very inconvenient. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just a side effect of how hard the penance brand was hitting with the headhunter stacks. Just take out support gems. It's like a gem swap, but then <laughs> just take anything, out the gems for the boss. Yeah. If anything, what I should have done is remember to just take off my headhunter quickly, but that turns off my auras, so Ugh, I tend gross, never yeah. to do it. You can no, you take off. Yeah. You take off the headhunter, you lose 70 decks. Right, which <laughs> turns off all my auras. <laughs> yep. it's, it's ridiculous, but that 70 decks... Half my builds function on that. See something on decks that comes from that belt. Yeah, I think what I would have had to do is take a dex belt in and swap the dex belt for the headhunter so yep. my gear doesn't break. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thought. Or you could just swap in early focus. I was talking earlier that one of the biggest nerfs they could do to Headhunter without actually destroying the item would be just straight up getting rid of the decks. I don't think oh. I would be wearing it on my Penance Brain character if it didn't have the decks. I, there's a bunch of characters that I, I would just be like, well, I can't fit a Headhunter anymore. <laughs> I actually need that decks. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> say I absolutely need it. I could fit a Headhunter and use other affixes elsewhere. But I also, for any content below 60% Delirious, I notice no difference, really. Headhunter versus no Headhunter. Everything just explodes anyway, instantly. And so I wouldn't feel any specific need to use the Headhunter when I could instead just use a Stygian that's rolled with a Dex Essence. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm like, I'm, I think that's that's the, the little the little like, nugget they could do to get make Headhunter just so much less powerful and it doesn't even change how it works. Just get rid of the decks on it and be like, ooh! <laughs> so bad. Don't want them to do that, by the way. I like my Headhunter, it's fine. Hmm. Would be nice if there was other build choices that compete even remotely with Headhunter. Uh, what's it called? The speedy tailwind oh, style. Oh, viscous leash. Wait, uh, 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 flow untethered. No, upgraded version of that. Yeah, the upgraded version Current of that. Reclamation. Yep, that's the one. That competes in a lot of builds. Also, depending on the build, I think it could be argued that Rissalatha's Coil competes. It's not insane on the same level if you're doing highly juiced content, but if you're not doing highly juiced content, I do think it's a competitive choice. I also think that Soul Tether or Replica Soul Tether 
for what it offers competes again if you're not doing highly juiced content if you're doing highly juiced content yep. uh nothing competes i could go with those those three belts are pretty pretty damn useful oh yeah the cooldown recovery rate see Nah, it's the slipstream is the important part. It's like a massively increased effect tailwind. It's action speed. From the harbinger. Makes you, yeah. Yep. Makes it super speedy. Um, I think it's listed under the harbinger of time. Yeah, yeah I got that it. That happens, not... Yeah. That one's incredibly good. Very strong. Doesn't provide a number for the action speed increase. But yeah, the wiki. Eh. Cool. Neat. So, again, to, to conclude the topic of um, the Atlas pass passives and the new endgame loop, assuming there's no changes outside maybe a few balance changes on some passes, you'd still be hyped to progress through the same system next league and to play the same passes on the same regions. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be fine with it. I'd be fine with it. I wouldn't quite use the word hyped, but that's more to do with how I play the game and what I enjoy in the game rather than a flaw of the system itself. That what I'm going to be most excited for next league is crafting interactions and the builds that result from that. And so will I still enjoy progressing through it and all that? Yes, but I'm not going to be actively looking forward to it because what I really play Path of Exile for is build making and crafting. That's fair. Yeah. No, I, I think like the, the actual game itself wouldn't be the same, wouldn't be as enjoyable if it wasn't for the very intricate crafting systems and built making systems and the the, the gameplay itself is I, w I wouldn't say rather dull or anything but it's like it's not as mentally stimulating as the the theory behind it most of the time yeah and build making especially if a highest end with weaving harvest in it's really interesting but I'm also looking forward to a time when it's not part of the game because Harvest is the worst thing that has been added to Path of Exile recently. Ching. I agree. Harvest should never have come. I mean, I was okay with it as a league, but it should never have come core. Yeah, I agree. I really like Harvest as a league and as an experiment for GGG to get information about crafting, I think it was great for that purpose explicitly. Bringing it back is the worst thing they have done in recent history. And it is <laughs> terrible. And I'd be very happy to hear in the 314 patch notes or announcements that we feel Harvest is a little overtuned, so we're removing it and reworking it again. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would be brilliant. Because... <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I really think that they were... Even before it was announced, I thought that Harvest would come back in some capacity, but I would have never, never guessed that they'd just bring it back the way it was and then at a lower rate of spawning because that didn't solve any of the problems that, no. that it brought in. In fact, it makes it worse because now it means that for one of my builds, 
I can still make whatever I want. If I want to spend a hundred exalts or a thousand exalts on a character, I can do that easily and I can make items in POB before I ever play or level the character. And then I can just craft them and they will be exactly as I made them in Path of Building. A normal person can't do that. But the problem with that really comes in when you think about the fact that every time I make one of those perfect items, it's a 20, 30, or even 40% power level upgrade. As It can be hundreds of percents power level upgrades, as opposed to the normal version of that item that anyone would have access to. And so the power gap becomes so extreme to the point where this Penance Brand build, for example, if I take off the Headhunter and I do a 60% Delirious Tier 16 map, I notice functionally no difference in my damage as opposed to an Alkengo Tier 16. Without Harvest, that would not be the case. I would notice layers of Delirium after the first 20%. And so it kind of makes two different games. And my big concern is Path of Exile at its core is a game about challenge. If it doesn't challenge you, you're going to get bored of it. You're going to quit very quickly. So it needs to be challenging. If Harvest completely removes that challenge, you either have a bunch of players who have no reason to keep playing because their builds become perfect way too fast, or you have to make the game significantly harder and any balance change that balances around Harvest is going to be something like all enemies do, you know, 10 to 30% more damage and all enemies have a 1,000% increased life. Yeah. It's going to be absurd because I remember a few leagues ago... It should make I thought it fun build... for us. Yeah, it would. Oh, I'd yeah. love that. <laughs> but outside of something like a Tier 19 map, that really shouldn't mm -hmm. be the content because most people's builds would just get splattered instantly. And, yeah. I mean... I. I remember a few leagues ago when I thought 5 million DPS looked really good on a build. Now I'm looking at that and going, anything under 15 is kind of really lacking, isn't it? Like I look at 10 million DPS builds as league start builds now? Yeah. Same. Like, can, and can my league start get to about 10? Yeah, it can. Okay, that'll be comfortable. That'll be good for the first like week, week and a half until I'm done with the league start build. Yeah, and that's... Annual 10 mil. Yeah, that's not it healthy at all. To do everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that should be an everything build, right? And <laughs> and again, if it's something very specific like delve depth a thousand plus or tier nineteen maps hundred percent delirious, I'm totally okay with those requiring absurd things. If you need a hundred mil DPS for either of those, that's fine because that's not content made for everybody. That's content made for people who are willing to invest a large amount of time and resources into doing the thing. But the problem is when that 10 million DPS power level is available around League Start, that means it is accessible to everyone, which means the game now has to be balanced around that level of power, meaning a build that does only 1 or 2 mil DPS, even though it might have been a great build, is going to be pushed out. And you actually saw that with... That's the biggest thing that's wrong with bows. Bows were fine when the overall damage needed for content was much lower. But as content got buffed, especially around Metamorph, when they added the new influences, which added a big power spike, bows all of a sudden became complete shit. And that's going to happen with more and more archetypes. ED Contagion, for example. The minute it can't quickly and efficiently kill white mobs, that build no longer exists. Well, I already good, good thing that white mobs just need to be looked at in order to drop dead. Yeah, but imagine where... All of a sudden, you need 8 to 10 mil DPS to kill white mobs because Harvest stays in the game. And everyone just has 8 to 10 mil DPS. 
Yeah, no, like like you said, if that becomes the new standard, it invalidates pretty much anything that's that's worse. And uh, also, harvest crafting itself is like way too central and way too dominant dominant in the item creation process. Like, you're not gonna make a good item without harvest. In in a world where harvest exists, or yeah, in not at all. I recently did some math, so for one of my recent videos, I made a perfect Penance brand helmet because I wanted to mm. fix mine, and I decided, you know, if I'm going to fix it, instead of just doing a really boring ad remove fizz till I get T1, I'm going to remake it, I'm going to document every step of the process and tell people how to do it. Yep. I made that, and it was about 20 crafting steps total, counting each individual craft used. It cost me about 20x. I got relatively lucky it could have easily cost 40 or 50. That item is perfect. Normally, the only way you'd be able to make it is RNG with Essence of Horror, and the odds of doing that is something like 1 in 450,000. But I can just reproduce it really easily. 100% chance, no risk, once I get a clean base with the prefix of Conk Effect and the suffix of the Essence of Horror mod. Yep. Yep. So, to to close that line of thought, if they implemented other ways, like if Harvest was just one part in a crafting ecosystem, then you would be more okay with it. If there was other ways to like to acquire the same reliability or the same the quality level of items, or if something was taken away from Harvest and put into another system. So that harvest wouldn't be the, the only dominant thing in the crafting process, but that you'd have to employ different ways? I'd say no, because I still think the power level that it gives, and the fact that you can literally make an item in POB before you play a build, and know with 100% certainty that you are getting that item in-game after X number of iterations, it's yep. just way too powerful. That just a random, you know, how do we nerf harvest? First of all, it shouldn't interact with metamods at all. Currently, it fully interacts with metamods, and that is terrible because it makes crafting things way too easy. I don't and, mind that. I don't think that's the problem. I mean, it's not the problem. In my opinion, it's just part of it. Second of all, it shouldn't be able to make perfect items. Just as a random example of how to nerf it might be, tier 2 and tier 1 mods cannot be interacted with with Harvest. You can only interact with a mod that's tier 3 or lower. Which would mean most influence mods you no longer can put on items at all because they are single tier. Like Exploder, you cannot harvest craft that in any way. You can't remove it with harvest, you can't add it with harvest. I guess reforge keeping prefixes or suffixes technically could, but that's just a chaos orb at that point. I had a, I had an idea. My idea was always uh, to make it so that only one or possibly at most two mods on an item could be harvest crafted. So, like, if you were to harvest craft, add remove fire all day to try and get fire res tier one, right? Like, that's what you're after. That would sh just show up in a different color, and that would be a harvest crafted piece on that item. And you wouldn't be able to alter another one on that. It'd be either one or two, depending on balance. And then, then you could, what you'd have to do in that situation is you would have to craft other ways to get an item to near the perfect spot when you wanted. 
and then you would only be able to use Harvest to polish it up. You could also take an item that was just okay and use Harvest to make it decent, but you would have to get a large amount of the way there by other crafting methods, and you'd just be using Harvest to, like, polish it up. And I think that would be okay, and it yeah. would still keep the idea of Harvest in, but you would then... You still you now have to go the risky method with other things. You have to fossil, you have to essence, you have to spam things, you have to get the craft to a pretty damn good place and then bring it into harvest just to polish up that last bit of it. Yeah. Right? I like that. I do think that maybe the amount of interaction between harvest and influence should also be severely limited, which is to say to prevent more things like the tailwind problem which is that the crit tag was removed from Tailwind to prevent Harvest from breaking it, but that also potentially, if applied to more items, is going to make it harder to use any other crafting method in the game to make it, i.e. if Explode lost the Fizz tag, now you can't use Jagged Fossils to encourage Explode. So yeah. I don't think that's a good long-term solution. The better long-term solution is the only type of Harvest Craft that could interact with Influence is Remove Influence, Add Influence, Remove Add Influence, or Remove Non-Add Influence. So no harvest crafting at all on influenced items, basically. Right, except with the influence craft. Yeah. Well, with influenced mods. No. Yeah, influenced influence. mods. Like I can still fix up my res on my influence right. piece. Yeah, you not. could. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You could fix res, life, whatever else you want. The only exception to this would again be generic mods, like you know, a reforge. It could still roll the influence mod. It just won't be the guaranteed one. You could yeah. get, you know. Fizz from hits is taken as lightning as you're guaranteed on Reforge Fizz, and also hit Exploding. Yeah, you can't. Everything. One of my biggest problems is that there's no fail state. Yeah. Harvest crafting, there's no fail state. There's just, there's just, you need more money. You can't fail a harvest craft. You can only just need to spend more. It's not like if you go fossil crafting, you could spend 100x on fossils looking for something and then end up with a white item that's the same as where you started, which I know some people don't like, but the fact that that's a risk that happens is what, like, that's the best, most interesting part of crafting. You remove well, that's that. That's what makes the successful craft feel much more successful if there's a fail state. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Harvest, there's just no, there is no such thing as a fail state if you know what you're doing. Well, yeah, just, yeah. If I was gonna say that, if you yeah. know what you're doing, you're only doing the crafts with harvest that don't have a fail state. But you could very yeah. well have crafts that have a fail state. But why should you be doing those if there are methods with which you don't have one? Yeah, yeah. And a good example of this is the remove non add. If you look in TFT and try to buy remove non add, it's usually very, very cheap. It's very, very cheap because <laughs> so a lot of people, good. yeah, a lot of people think there are fail states innate to it because it can remove any mod. It can't. It can only remove a mod on the item if it can replace it with a mod of the correct tag. So a yeah. good example of this is, let's just say I made a elevated explode plus elevated, uh, let's just say Fizz taking this chaos chest. And I wanted to put spell crit on it. The only possible suffix that is going to be tagged with caster is spell crit. There are no prefixes that are tagged with caster. So I can safely use remove non-caster, add caster on that chest piece. And as long as my suffixes are full, it will never hit the explode and it will never hit the fizz taken as chaos 
because it knows that it must add a suffix. So it must always remove a suffix to add a mod because it can never fail yep. to add a mod. Yeah. Yep. And there's there's a ton of iterations of that when that stuff like that happens. Like yeah. Tons. It's and the absurd how The remove nons are how you get. The remove nons are how you really easily get boots that are like elusive tailwind onslaught pierce. Um, and there's something else, and then movement speed. Like you get like four, or five influence mods on an item by doing it that way. Yeah, it's it's all very confusing, but not really. It's just confusing until you understand it, and then it's like, oh, 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 this actually works. Well, it's yeah. still it still requires a lot of interacting with the system in order to memorize which specific item base type or item class can roll what what like what the mod pools offer and what's possible I, with the system I but the underlying logic memorize. of it is not very hard you just open craft of exile like no one's craft of exile is just i but i don't think anyone's memorized anything <laughs> you just go I to have. craft of exile <laughs> i, I do I've just memorized it passively from doing hundreds of crafts. Right, yeah. But also, I don't like going to Craft of Exile, actually, recently. I prefer PewDB, because PewDB added tag filters at the top. So if I want to know, okay, what happens if I, you know, remove non, add chaos on this item? Chaos mm. tag, and only the chaos mod show up, and it makes it so much easier to check things. PewDB. Yeah, I really like PewEDB as well for uh, looking at mod pools, but I do know that Craft of Exile is is very good for uh, like 90% of the other queries that you could be running, where you're like, okay, how likely is it that I hit this or that result in so-and-so many resonators and fossils or something like that. It's really good to use Craft of Exile. Yeah. But for just plain overview of, hey, what, what could I roll? What does the mod pool offer? For this or that item with this or that influence, I much prefer PUEDB. Oh my god. I haven't the seen the new so tags good. at the top. They're so good. Yes, it what is What the amazing. hell? They've even got non as a tag. Yep. So you can non know exactly. as a tag? Okay, that's yes. Yeah, like you can tag non-cold and be like, okay, so these are the options. Yeah, so these are the <laughs> things that are going to get removed. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> Oh yeah, Back to PUEDB wow. it is. Yep. Yeah, that's that's, that's I need to show that on stream. I am sold. Craft of Exile, it's been fun. See you later, buddy. <laughs> so basically you can you can uh highlight non-life here and see all the yeah. non-life mods. Although can you also do that here? No, you can't do it for those. For the notables on cluster jewels, but that's maybe a bad example because Yeah, cluster jewels are unfortunately not part of the list down at the bottom and it only filters the list <laughs> down at the bottom. Yep. Mm. Uh, here none cold, none lightning. Well you don't want to highlight both at the same time, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it is super, super helpful for making things, especially with remove non-add. 
I just really like PoEDB for the the plain visuals, and especially since they uh, added the dark mode. Or I don't yes. know whether it's the new default, but it used to be so terrible to look at with the white background. But now it's dark. It's so oh, it's so good. Could look at PoEDB all day. Websites should not be allowed to be made public without a dark mode. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Well, so the perfect segue then. With your focus on crafting and build making, do you normally experience fatigue of PoE or does that keep the game relatively fresh because the amount of things that you could be do, doing is uh, practically unlimited? Yeah, yes I do, but usually it's related to performance issues. So I felt fatigue very badly in Delirium League and I felt fatigue very badly in Heist League. And in both cases, it was tied to the fact that the League Start performance was god-awful. I could barely do Deliriums for most of Delirium League because my game would just lock up and freeze. In fact, the build that I wrote a guide on in Delirium League was me going, okay, how can I make a build that is still playable if I'm frozen for multiple seconds in a Delirium? And I, everything I did, it was a Cyclone Berserker with War Cries. And all I'd do is I'd hold down left click to keep cycloning, to gain life on hit, and I'd mash my other keys and hope they went off enough that I wouldn't die. And it mostly worked. <laughs> nice. And in Heist, it just crashed. It, it always feels bad being forced to play standard on a league. Not because you don't want to interact with the content, but because you literally cannot interact with the content because it just crashes. And so even though the second month of Heist was a lot better, I did way less in Heist, and I really didn't have much motivation to keep doing things because the performance was just so bad early that it tainted the whole experience. Whereas this league, we're apparently two months in. If you asked me, I would have said, oh, we're probably about a month in. It feels like I could keep going, and until close to the very end, I definitely will. It's, I don't know, burnout just hasn't really happened as much this league. Like, I definitely feel like I've done everything I want, but I don't want to stop playing either which the last two leagues I have wanted to stop playing. In fact, I have. I've just gone and played League of Legends for like a month straight. Still, the need for that this time. Like, I got, I got shit to do. Yeah, I don't feel the need either, but I still will. Because <laughs> I always, at the end of a league, take at least a short break. Play some other games, do some other stuff. It does uh, help you if you're planning to go hard on the next league start. Sorry about it. What what do you, what are your go to alternate games then? Oh, I'm uh, curious to hear that as well. Yeah, it really depends. For example, it's been Hades before. It's been Magic: The Gathering Arena. Uh, last time I didn't do it on stream, but I played through Cyberpunk because I just the events were fine. I did them for a couple days, but I wasn't really into them, and so most of that time I was just playing Cyberpunk. Yeah, played through Divinity before. Tried the cyberpunk on stream, my computer can't handle it. I've gotten to the point where I need to get a streaming PC, but can't afford it. So we'll just wait for that before I can play any intensive yeah, I, games. I never tried it, but I strongly suspected that 
it wouldn't work. And so instead of potentially making my experience miserable early on with the game, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to play it off stream and I'm just going to do other things. makes a lot of sense i i can totally relate with what you said in regards to performance and fatigue because playing in a in a softcore trade environment in badgers privately i experienced for the first time that in a while that i actually hate running the game in parties because uh, the amount of visual clutter and performance problems that are related to party <laughs> play just make me not enjoy the game as much like it's just it just gets tiring like you look at the screen for two or three hours and your eyes are done like your your brain feels like jittered and all of the place and I just I just I couldn't do 16 17 18 hour streams with party play unless I I mean I guess I could get used to it you can get used to anything but yeah, yeah it's, it's part of why I'm a solo player in terms of poe I don't really do group mapping or anything and that sort of feeling always nags at me. So I always build around, you know what? I'm just going to be a solo player. Yep, me too. I, I level with a group at the beginning and we like operate as a team, quote unquote, but more in the way of just like pooling resources and doing different jobs and all off on our own doing things because it's just not fun yeah. playing a party. And it's, it's another, yeah. And aside of a party play thing, I mean, this is more personal, but I don't like feeling reliant on other people. So I would never do something like a carry or a bot situation where my character does not function without the other person. I don't, you know, I, I don't mind it. Like, I think I, I think I would enjoy party. If the party playing was smooth, I think I would enjoy it a lot more. I'd be perfectly happy to do more party play oriented stuff. It just never is really smooth. Yeah. And that's also why I don't always just chain Delirious maps. From a profit per hour standpoint, I should absolutely be chaining at least 60% Delirious for every map that I run. And I can afford to do that. But I also sometimes just want to run a map and not spend 10 minutes picking up items on the ground. And I want to just run a map and not lag out or have the game crash. And so I will just alka map and go. Is it a massive amount of profit lost? Yeah. But it's more enjoyable to me to lose that money than to hate the game because it's crashed for the eighth time in the last hour. <laughs> crashed that many yep. times out of delirious maps? In Baldur's Rest, anyway, because uh, Harbinger Blob. Yep. Doing the loot filter thing will help a lot. Yeah, it I'm going to. But it, it helps a lot. Yeah, I actually, based on some numbers that a friend was talking about, I did some math on how many items are likely to be generated in a 100% delirious fractured map with quant gear. The answer is over 100,000. Yeah, I was, I was going to guess over 100, but... Yeah, and this is just based off of the number of six links because he's using the corrupted drop and he got... Actually, his record's now over 200 six links in a single map. That is just... Wait, 200 actual... six links in a single map? Yes. You can't carry them out. Nope. You cannot. And if it's that many things that got six linked, which means they won the one in 144 upon being corrupted, which means they're also either a two-handed weapon or a chest piece, yeah. which is such a small <laughs> fraction, and it's not a 100% chance to corrupt the item. 
there's just a massive amount of stuff being generated. Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like that that's one of the first things that or one of the most urgent things that need to be addressed by GGG. The the item yeah. hell. Yeah, and I know there's been the argument of it's not going to feel like PoE or the maps are going to feel empty or there's not going to feel like loot. But if I'm specifically making my loot filter to make the maps as empty as possible anyway, I don't think I will notice. I like if you took non-influenced rare items completely out of the game as a drop. Personally, in how I play the game, I would barely notice. Well, from maps, obviously during acts, that would be hugely detrimental, but from maps. If it is not an influence rare item, it no longer drops. I, mean, I wouldn't really know. And the influence rares are hidden on my filters by the end of the first week. Yeah. <laughs> like it's actually insane how much it gets hidden. It's actually insane just how much gets hidden in just the semi-strict standard NeverSync filter. Definitely. The one that everyone like just starts on. Like that's just like the default baseline. And literally 60 to 70% of the things that drop on the ground aren't shown. Like somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 70% of the loot in the game is never seen by anyone at any point in the game. That could all disappear and no one would fucking notice. Yeah, I don't know if it would be possible from a technical standpoint, but I've always wondered if the best short-term solution would be hide, or based off of hide states on loot filter, that the item just never drops. That the game checks, okay, is this supposed to show up? If yes, generate it and have it drop. If no, it never gets dropped. Or just With, switch off the 3D models for items because that's not visually important anyway because with all the fog on the ground from delirium, people don't <laughs> see items on the ground anyway. Like, yeah. I mean, every every diff card, every item, every like everything has a 3D model that drops visually onto the floor. Mm. And I think that's a big problem. I mean, of course, like Balor said, the item labels being rendered, whether they're shown or not, is a big thing as well. Yeah, but. I guess potentially a way to solve that would also be if it doesn't show up on your loot filter, there's no 3D model. So then newer players, people who aren't running juice content, could still see their items dropping on the ground and see and go pick up the pair of gloves. Because they're probably not going to have it hidden. It would probably cause an issue with the game instantly crashing if you ever hit alt, and it tried to render all that stuff instantly, but also mm. it does that anyway, so that doesn't really make anything worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, performance improves drastically in content where there's no items dropping, yeah. Now that that's that leads to the the meme build with the stacking the combustibles corrupted unique jewel that reduces the quantity of items drop. If you stack enough of those then you won't drop any items and that that is actually pretty good. You want a speed map, but the problem is you're not going to get any returns. <laughs> Just yeah. going to be able to finish the maps really fast. I want to buy combustibles rework where it just destroys certain items instantly. Crash the server. Never mind. <laughs> right, that's just another thing it has to do. Yeah. If, you know, you hit the harbinger blob or something and several thousand items just get created and destroyed within a fraction of a second. Yeah. Oof. 
Another big factor for me that, that GGG could do to prevent my personal fatigue, I know that's different for me than it is from you for you guys, because I, well, I, uh, the nature of HCSSF requires me to start new characters quite often, and I do often do practices for new leagues and fresh restarts. And uh, one of the things that really frustrates me, even though it's like a tiny little thing in the game, but is every time having to set up stuff like um, attack without moving on every skill. That should be the default. I, I don't see a reason yeah. why it's not the default. Outside the of Dash. Default. And Even if it's for- not the default, I should at least have a setting in the UI that would make it the default, right? Like yeah. the default setting for that could be off so that it, nothing changes for new players. But I, I yeah, I, I get immensely frustrated at having to do that every single time. Because if you're practicing Act 1 runs, that's, that's a significant amount of your time. I mean, obviously, in the in the large lifespan of a character to level 100, it doesn't matter at all. But yeah, just having to put that onto every skill while you're moving annoys the shit out of me. And also stuff like switching off the tutorials, hiding all the pop-ups, <clears throat> all, all those things that you do every oh. single time you play through the game. And then you hi- hit all the pop-ups, you switched off all the tutorials. The moment the first watchstone drops in the game, the game shoves a pop-up into your face and tries to explain to you what a watchstone is and what you do with it. And I'm like, right? dude, please just go out of my yeah. way. I want to, I want to click behind the thing. I, I, there is something that I want to do, and you're just preventing me from doing it. You're in the it, way. It's very annoying that hide all tutorials doesn't hide all tutorials. Yeah, it's very yeah. counterintuitive. And hide all pop-ups doesn't hide all pop-ups. Right? Yep, it's very annoying. I think in terms of the attack about moving, even if dash exists, it is way less annoying for me to turn it off on dash. And just have it on for everything else by default. Exactly. And even then, maybe they code it so that on dash it's off by default and everything else it's on. And if that's not possible, I would still rather turn it off for every dash gem I use than have to turn it on for every other gem I use on every build ever. Mm. And then, and then you know, you, you die or here or there and you realize, oh, wait, I didn't have it on that skill. That's why yep. I died, because my character, instead of using the ability, tried to move. Uh, and I learned so that the hard way again in this Badger Private League, where when you flip your gems, it doesn't remember it, because it's a new gem. Just, yeah. just yep. like the MTX, which is really funny, because they claimed that they uncoupled the MTX from the actual items, because you don't put the, M- the MTX onto the actual item, but you put it into the cosmetic tab, but it's still linked to the actual item, because if I take my MTX gem off and I flip it for a 20 quality gem, it doesn't have the MTX on anymore when I put, once I put it back on, so I have to put it again. And in the same way, I have to put attack without moving. And if, if I just could set up the game in a way that the game remembers that which ability goes onto which button, every single time that it automatically puts that ability there regardless of whether it's a new character or whether it's a, it's a quality gem it's a different gem that just would always go on the same thing yeah i would love that because i tend to use the same keybinds even if it's not the same skill i wish i could assign something like default movement skills to two yeah or oh, you know yeah. default attack and spell skills to yeah. Skill bind affinity. Yeah. How about just that whenever I put on a skill that's a Val skill, 
the one that I want in my right click is never the Val version, ever. It's no, not once have I ever wanted the Val version to go on left on right click. I, the normal version goes there. Oh, see, I'm the opposite. I tend to put the Val version on right click and the normal version on one. Really? Yep. Because I find it easier when using a skill over and over and over and over again to hold down a key with my right hand than to be clicking on my mouse while also clicking to move. Hmm. Yeah, so I have the Vol version, which is usually an emergency button on right click, because it's really easy when I'm clicking around to move and something hits me to hit my emergency button. Emergency button, so it's Val Discipline, Val Grace, something like that? Yep. And Val RF I'll put on something like four or five so I don't accidentally hit it as easily. For me, the one thing that they could change that would make everything a lot, a lot nicer for me is, you know how we unlocked Scion? Like, right? Like, new people, new players for the first time don't have Scion. We've unlocked Scion so we can make it at a league start, right? Yep. Yeah, I would like a gem vendor in every town that just sells every gem that's available at that level. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to travel between towns. Like just an additional I, NPC that has all the gems that you could have gotten from the other towns. And also and also the ones I could have gotten on other classes. You know? Because yeah. I'm limited to buy only the gems available to Shadow, and not the gems that are still level 8 gems but available to other classes. And so to make half of my builds, I have to go and log on to an alt, Remember all the gems I want to buy at every single level, pre-purchase them all in a tab so that I can use them on my list. <laughs> Why can I not just buy whatever gem I want once I reach the appropriate level? Why? How would you feel if that NPC was Siosa? And if you did the library quest, he just appeared in town for the rest of the league for all future characters. We could that invite him to your hideout. Yeah, that would or be you fine. Yeah. I, I hate doing the library, but I would do it once. But, I mean, I would prefer it was just something account-wide to unlock, just like Scion was, right? So, yeah. Because the only argument for not having all things available forever is brand new players being like, that's way too many gems, it's way too overwhelming. And, like, I get that. That's a valid argument for, for your first playthrough. So what about the first time your account ever beats Katava 10? Yeah, that could do it. Like, ta-da, mm. here's a vendor. Or if it wanted and... to tie it to something even further on, it could be the first time you encounter a Conqueror. Yeah, or even the first time you kill Cirrus one. I don't care where it is. Yeah. But just make yeah. it an account unlock so that you only have to ever reach that milestone one time. And then it's just available forever. The only downside of that is that it would change the like race meta or whatever, because everyone would suddenly have access to all the things. But personally, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I. So I'm not going to say that racing isn't important to Path of Exile because it does build community and it's definitely good for the game. But I don't think racing should ever be a reason why core gameplay changes that would benefit 
most if not all players aren't done yeah. instead make a racing specific adjustment to the races like you can make a private league that turns that mod off that all of a sudden yeah. the gem vendor can be turned off in a private league races can still have it but it doesn't hurt anyone i think getting a gem vendor after act 10 kitava would barely hurt any races it would just make it so that there is more of an equal be after acting Kitaba, right? It would be yeah. permanent forever. You'd log into your very first character in a league and you would just have a vendor there that sold all the gems that would be available. Oh, permanent. Not, oh, not, I thought it was yeah. league-specific, like like uh, like ascendancy trials or something like that, that you have to do it once per league. No, no, I'm talking like the Scion unlock. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, right? I got the, the, I got the metaphor now that you mentioned. Ago. Yeah, but don't, don't you think it would be enough if it once per league. I mean, especially for you as a softcore player, like you do it once and or yeah, it's the same between softcore and hardcore. Sure. But why bother? Why do it that way? Why yeah, not just I mean, honestly, I feel the same way about lab trials. Why are lab trials a once a league thing when I have to deal with the RNG of finding it when I've done it so many times now? Hmm. I get the idea that it's to not have players have this big advantage. But outside of SSF, I don't really think there is any appreciable advantage from having lab trials just unlocked at, you know, level one first character of a league. There's a lot of little things that have kind of gotten power crept on or obscured or whatever that are very annoying to go do, like finding Uber lab trials. Uh, I've gotten to level 95 before when I've decided, you know what, how many levels is it going to take before I find this last trial if I don't just go into global 820 and get it in 20 seconds? The answer the is answer 97. <laughs> you can get... I've, I've gotten to level 97 before. That's pretty bad. Mm. Yeah. See, I think... That's insane, though. That shouldn't be the case, but I think... It's fine that that needs to be unlocked per league. Also, what's been mentioned in chat is unveiled items. I think it's completely fine that that's per league and that you have to progress like that per league. But the nature of how it is progressed has been the same for such a long time. And it causes so much fatigue having to pick up items and having to unveil them one by one. Or just like you said, leveling to level 90 plus without getting the last uber lab trial that you need and mm -hmm. there there's some very simple things that could be done to both of those or well, more so to lab trials than to unveils sure there's something that you could do to unveils to make that easier like an unveil all button where you can just basically unveil things in a sequence without having to click them back and forth and maybe adding some uh, visual indicator to items so that you can, without hovering them, determine whether they have a veiled mod or not. Which, for me personally, when I unveil things, I always go to the vendor afterwards and sell all the uh, unveiled stuff, and I always notice, oh, there's still a ring here that I didn't unveil. Oh, I'm back to the back to June and unveil back to the vendor. Yeah. Oh wait, oh the spelled. Oh shit, go back. And I don't see yeah. a reason why there's not like a similar to the influences, like a visual indicator on the base that. That it has a veiled mod. I'm going to be honest. If I unveil a bunch of stuff and then vendor it and then forget a ring and then forget a belt, I'm deleting the belt. It's yeah, not getting or, unveiled. Or just vendoring it. 
I just many yeah. of them. I'm just like, oh, well, looks like I missed that thing. Yeah. Uh, Most of the time, I will straight delete it out of spite. I'm just like, no, you do not get vendored. You get deleted. Yeah, and for lab trials specifically, like, I mean, we talked about that many times. I feel kind of silly to bring that up again, but, you know, you could be able to pop an offering into the map device to guarantee spawn a lab trial, or you could make it so that it prioritizes map tri uh, lab trials that you haven't had before when you get them from Zana, or there's a lot of ways how they could make it so that you can still, like, the, you still have to progress it every league, but the chances that you get shafted by RNG are significantly lower. That some, yeah. if you play with dedication, you're guaranteed to have it by the end of day two or something like that. And now, now I know this isn't going to happen, but my personal favorite solution is how about I just don't have to do fucking lab at all? God, I hate lab. It's so shit. <laughs> I just second give that. Give me my because... ascendancy points for free. <laughs> yeah. Or just let me click an altar. You know what? You get all the trials, you click the altar, you're done. Because in terms of things that cause fatigue, aside of performance issues, another big one is all the small, tedious tasks that don't meaningfully make my gameplay experience better. It's just exactly. things I feel I need. Like unveils, for example. I have not done Jun missions and gotten my unveils, even at this point in the league. If I need something, I say, I'm going to buy 50 or 100 of the item and just spend the exalts and unveil it on the spot and get the craft that I need. Or <laughs> I will have someone else craft it for me. I'm not going to do Jun missions. I'm not going to farm it myself. There's plenty of common crafts that I'm still missing because I just haven't used them and I don't care. I used to care, but I'm like that too now. Like I used to yeah. be like, I need to get these craft unlocks. I need to get these craft unlocks. And now I'm just like, I'll end up with like two quad tabs full of veiled items and I'll be looking at them and looking at them and looking at them. And then I'll drag them to the end of my stash and just see if they exist. And they just yeah. sit there. I'm like, speaking, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> speaking of dragging tabs to the end of your chest, stash tab management and setting up stash tabs is a big factor of fatigue for me. I know that in theory, I could set up my stash tabs in the parent league so that that stash tab layout gets copied whenever a new league sta starts. Like if I going to permanent HCSF. Huh? Have you not done that? No, I haven't done that. I was too late. I did that immediately. It was one of the first things I did when they added that. <laughs> yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should do that immediately because you'll what, never have to deal with that fatigue again. Yeah, yeah but, but still. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I should probably do that. But there was another little thing that annoys me about that, and that's I have a very loose trigger finger. Like... By clicking many, many hundred or thousands of times with my right middle finger, I've, I'm at the point where I occasionally, about three to five times per minute, will click the right mouse button without intending to do so. So while I go through my stash tabs and I randomly click stash tabs to get brought to the front, because that is a feature that they implemented that you can right click a stash tab on the list and get sent all the way to the front of your stash tab list. And you can't switch it off. And Once you no have set up your, your order of stash tabs, you don't want to change the order anymore. But like you randomly accidentally click it and it goes all the way in the front. And then you have to manually drag it all the way into the back again. If, you, if that's where you want to have the tab. And I feel yeah. like, why is there no lock stash tabs? <laughs> they can't balance around that. But they can allow me to disable the feature. Just like they but should allow me to disable the... 
tutor tutorial feature and the uh the, the they'll implement the lock button next screen but it'll just it'll only lock some stash tabs <laughs> it only locks regular stash tabs yeah. not premium or specialty no it, it only locks premium not regular ones <laughs> otherwise it's not paid to win enough yeah yeah those are things that that frustrate a little sure i could think of other things that those are the most pressing issues for me as well is there anything that you still want to add to that list so i'm a little I mixed mean, on I'm, this one we're actually we're actually overlapping already we, we were in the question what can ggg do to prevent and since ggg didn't do it you already said what can players do and it's like not interact <laughs> with the unveils yeah yeah and this is kind of in that category as well but delve i really hate mm. having to go through the low levels of delve league after league after league i get why it's there to keep someone from just going straight down to a thousand and getting blasted and not understanding why they are dying or what they can do i don't think it should just be a slider but i wish there was some sort of progress system that would allow me to skip the boring part because the first 200 or so depth feels completely pointless, irrelevant, and like a waste of my time. And it takes so much longer than white maps. I can, if I really want to just skip white maps, I can do probably 20 white maps, and then I'm into yellows. Yeah. But I can't do that with Delve. You know, let, let's just say, Winged Sulfite Scarab, when you use it, you gain 10 Delve depth up to I level 83. Or something like that. I don't care how much it costs. Just let me skip that boring part. Yeah, well, let, let, let Nico offer a challenge where you can get to skip 50 delve depth if you prove yourself worthy by, you know, doing fighting a certain crystal number of fighting crystal. Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> That's more than I, I wanted. But. Like the first time you do a yellow daily mission, it could pump you up to like depth monster level 73 or something yeah, yeah. True. first time you do a red daily you could jump to 78 and at least if you had to start from there it would be you know at least you're at 78 you're not quite at the tier 16s but you haven't done any delving yet well, so if you jump in you're at like 140 right 140 150 yeah. yeah and i wouldn't hate that i'd probably the only reason i haven't delved this league is i didn't want to redo the grind of getting down past the irrelevant stuff and who knows, maybe that system could be extended, where when you, let's just say, do a tier 19 map, maybe you skip all the way down to 300. Because yeah. most people, you know, if you're doing a tier 19 map, you are prepared for delve depth 300. A tier 19 map's way harder. Yeah. Tier 19 map's probably more like 600. Mm, maybe not quite, maybe like 500. Hmm. But it's enough that it can be a test of your build can do this versus your build can't do this. And then that still leaves the progression down further where the costs and profits really start to scale. Yeah. And you don't want to like skip too far down. Like you don't want to wait to skip to like a thousand depth, even if your character can handle it. Because yeah. yeah, you're not doing that content, but Yeah, and I think three hundred ish is a good middle ground of Something. it doesn't take much investment to get there, but it skips most of the boring part, and so it feels a lot better to then progress into the five hundreds, the eight hundreds, one thousand and so on. Yeah. Although I think it's fair to say that that that's 
much less frustrating, or at least for me, from my subjective point of view, uh, after having done it in Badger's Private League, where I kind of postponed Delve to the very end, and on the last day I went from just about Delve Depth 100 to 325, it was really fast, but that was with the support of the team and with like basically endless sulfide rotations that were already happening that I didn't need to fight for or something like that. And uh, yeah. it didn't need to chip in if I didn't want to, right? I could have just leached sulfide because it was in the team's best interest to give me sulfide so I could get the Delph depth for the points. So uh, it was a little bit easier than to do that in the trade league, I suppose. Um, but yeah, still, it was a couple of hours, basically one day invested of gameplay that I needed to get to that Delph depth. Yeah, and it might seem like a minor complaint, but even that one day of gameplay is uh, more than I can tolerate with boring content like that. It's not about the cell fight itself. I mean, you probably start doing that, though, once the character's set up and once you're already in the high content. I feel like if you were setting up as you go along, the content would still be challenging, possibly. Mm, with the acceleration of trade league gear, not really. Hmm. I'm Even, ready for depth like 200 the moment I hit maps. Yeah. Like without, without even doing any trade, you can do depth 200 the moment you put in your first white map. Everything before that is literally nothing. All right. And in terms of a cell fight, it's not even worth it to do rotas. It's just better to straight buy the scarabs. Rogers was good in the Badger League we were doing because we didn't really have access to an unlimited amount of Scarabs between the few people that were playing on each team. So Rogers became the way to go. But you don't do those and Rogers don't exist in Softcore anymore. Not at all? so cheap. No, it's just way too cheap to buy the Scarabs and just run your own. Yep. The amount of time you lose doing the Rota is so much worse. Mm. Yeah, and there's also these little things that you need to pay attention to in the rota that I learned for the first time because I've never done any rotations where, where, you know, people are not supposed to move before everyone's loaded into the zone because otherwise it might impact the amount of sulfite nearby nodes. Yep. And then everyone needs to be nearby when it's being clicked and it's, there's so much coordination necessary right. for, for good group play. <laughs> and even just that first one. I can probably get all the sulfide I need from a toxic sewer or an atoll map before the last person has loaded into their map if the last person does not have an SSD. I'm done. I'm on to the yeah. next map, and nobody has moved in that rota. Yeah. That is definitely a thing. Yeah. But those would be the most pressing is pressing issues, I think. Hmm. Honestly, I have some more things that always come to mind while playing, but right now, not so much. I think we mentioned the most important things. Hmm. Oh, and we're also uh, two hours and almost, well, two and a half hours into the podcast. So I think Funny, it, it only be... feels like two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Yep. I think the joke there was that I was half an hour late. I got that one. <laughs> I just wanted to cover you up. <laughs> wanted to play along. 
You ruined it. But uh, yeah, no, that was uh, was great. Is there any anything that you still wanna say? Is there any topics that you felt would be addressed that we didn't touch upon at all? Maybe Tenki had something in yeah. mind. One thing that relates to fatigue and leak mechanics, actually, I do think that leak mechanics and how they function has a very big impact on fatigue. This will vary from person to person, but for a lot of people, for example, they got very burnt out of Incursion League because Incursion League seemed like it was new and full of potential and really interesting. But once you did it a couple times, it didn't actually functionally change. It was very binary. Do you get good Temple Room? Cool. You get rewards and you feel like it's worth your time. Do you not get good Temple Room? No, oh, well, that's kind of boring. Let's just skip it. When League mechanics are random enough or engaging enough in and of themselves, it drives people to stay within the League longer. Whereas when mechanics tend to be much more binary, and I think even a mechanic that you might not initially think of as binary can be broken down that way for a lot of players, like Heist. Heist is kind of, you are abusing blueprints or you are not abusing blueprints. And if you're not abusing blueprints or contracts or whatever, if you're not min-maxing it, if you will, it ends up feeling very much like a slower paced map where it's that very binary gameplay of wait for door, is door open, go through, kill enemies. If not, wait for door again. <laughs> yep. That sounds Whereas right. Legion, personally, I didn't like Legion much. I found it very boring because it's just breach. Legion feels more engaging to people. Because you feel like you're interacting with these enemies, you're getting to kill the generals, you're getting rewards from each legion and everything, it could have that exalt drop. There's that feeling of there could be something good that drives the engagement beyond the very base level mechanic, which it's just breach. So how does ritual stand in that? Like, where does ritual stand in that uh, way of thinking? Is it, is it binary? Because either you get a good, a good drop or not, or... I think it's the Legion aspect, where on its face it might seem binary, but there's enough choice in what you get, where you feel like you get something that's worth your time to do it for most people, from a lot of them. You know, you see that, oh, that's two Chaos Orbs. Well, hey, I can use two Chaos Orbs. Oh, that's ten Chaos Orbs. That's cool. That's worth my time. You're also killing monsters. The monsters have drops. The monsters spawn at a fairly fast-paced rate, so you get to engage with your build. So I would say it's a good league mechanic, and it drives engagement. Hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. That seems fair. I, th I think Ritual's a very unimpactful league, but the, I think it's also perfectly placed because the main focus has been on the expansion. Yeah. It's just not in my face enough to be annoying, even if it was bad. And it's not really bad. It's pretty decent, but just not huge. And in the perfect position. Like, if it was a solo league on its own with no expansion, we would be complaining about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that was kind of a problem with Blight League, I feel. Mm -hmm. That Blight League came as a solo league on its own. And Blight as a mechanic would have been a lot better as a league alongside an expansion. Yeah. 
Well, with Blight, you also had uh, the blighted maps, and you had uh, hints at a at a mob at a boss that never was implemented, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if if those things would have been there, it would have been maybe more of a standalone league, potentially. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a, a good a good league needs to hit certain things, and and having endgame encounter something for bossing and having some sort of crafting interaction and having a, a farming mechanic with good returns potentially at least are uh, are a few of those points for me or maybe the core points even for most people like if, if those yeah. if those are met then it's a good league I think that the more optional one would probably be the boss aspect because a lot of people just don't like bossing and don't do bosses much. Now, a good example of this would be Oshabi as a boss is largely irrelevant and kind of always has been. Hmm. Yep. Where if Oshabi was never part of Harvest as a boss, the league would be virtually unchanged. Whereas something like Cortex being the end boss for Synthesis was really good. It gave you a reason to push for bosses it had rewards that were worthwhile, and it was an engaging and, in my opinion, really well done fight. Oh, I miss agree. Yeah, but Oshabi um, isn't in itself, uh, in herself, like, she's a pretty intriguing fight. I mean, there's some, some bullshit that happens, but with some adjustments. No, it's, a really, it's a really good fight. I quite like it. It's got literally no purpose. In fact, Having a Shabi show up is like a letdown. You're excited yep. about your harvest garden. You then you go in and then you're like, wait, there's no gardens on this side. Wait, there's no oh no, it's a Shabi. Yup. <laughs> yeah. I fucking waste a garden. <laughs> like like Katarina on release. Katarina on release was actively detrimental to do. You could argue it still is. Yeah. Most yeah. people would still say uh, not doing Katarina because I don't want to set up my board again. Yeah. But yeah. there is the option now to not even bother with setting up your board and to just work to Katarina and then it's sort of worth to do her. Yeah, before Atlas passives, I would say it definitely was still detrimental. With Atlas passives, if you're using a really targeted, well-set-up board, it's definitely detrimental. If you're not, if you're just, you know, I put the people generally where I like them, because of the lower board interaction passives that you can use to yeah. farm Katarina, it's worth farming Katarina now. Let's hmm. set that as a goal. Ashabi's a super easy fix, though. Just give you just her make the it so that when you kill Ashabi, you get a like fully stacked garden that you can then harvest afterwards. Like killing her spawns a garden, but not just two or three dual plots around the place like you normally get, but rather like eight of them. Yeah, like and maybe everywhere. Maybe something like a higher level seed guaranteed in each plot too. Yeah, like one tier four in every plot or something. Yep. And you still have to pick and you only get so many of them. You're still going to make the decisions between them, but at least killing a Shabi has a reward attached to it. Although I feel like at that point, they might have to make the Hordercrafting Station double, because otherwise it will be very, very hard to store just for rewards from Oshabi. I mean, it shouldn't have a cap to begin with, but whatever. 
Well, it should have a cap, but not 10. <laughs> I mean, sure, the cap should probably be the length of a binary code bit that, and, you know, the, the bit length that, that it would need. An irrelevantly long comp amount is the important part. I feel ten yeah. of every type would be already would be already plenty. Like ten adds, ten removes, ten add removes, and ten uh, you know of every kind that and that. Yeah, I guess make it a lot better. Depending on how much data is stored, it could get prohibitive for them if people are storing just random stuff, which uh, I was definitely guilty of when hortocrafting stations were a thing because it was so easy that if I wanted to store up, let's just say fifty reforged speed. I could store 50 reforged speed and then forget about them and they sit in my hortocrafting tab and I never use them. Yeah. So but, eliminating that good, capping it at 10, bad. Yeah. I think the problem with the cap is not, not wanting to go super deep into it, but I think the problem with the cap is that you have so many different crafts and some of them shouldn't compete with each other for slots. Storage. Because and they, they the other, are functionally completely different. Yeah. The other big problem of a craft is it hurts the casual player, whereas it rewards the high-end player. No life degenerates, but myself can still, and you, can still print whatever fucking item we want. Because you can afford yep. to, but casuals will never, ever be able to because of the 10 cap. Yeah, but and whereas if you remove the cap, you could just you know, sure, I can make two of those items a day, but as like working class exile one or two hours a day, maybe you have to farm it for a week, but you can make your own item without having 150x if you can just hold on to all the crafts. Until and people you're ready. are also heavily incentivized to sell the crafts immediately, which feeds into someone like me saying, "Oh, I'm going to buy 50 of those. Here's my exalts." Yep. Whereas if they were incentivized to use them, there's a lot of people who right now sell all of their crafts who would not. They would use them, which means the crafts would, well, probably be more expensive, which wouldn't be a big deal because you spend, you know, 50x instead of 30x and you print a 150x item instead of a 100x item. But at least people are using their crafts now. True. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Harvest needs to be addressed in some way. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Um, but that that My stuff. My suspicion is nothing. I think they're just going to leave it. Yeah, I worry they're just going to leave it too, and I worry what it's going to do to the game. Mm. No, it, it will definitely be curious to find out. But yeah, it, it is a little bit troublesome the thought that they could just leave it as is i i can't really imagine it i mean i, I couldn't really imagine that it goes core right and i couldn't really imagine that high school score without being benched for a league and all those things happened so who am i to say but yeah as we're uh, approaching the three hour mark Maybe it is a good time to round off the podcast here. You guys are very welcome to stay off uh, over here, on here, uh, to further have a little bit of discussion about stuff. But for the recording that's available on all the audio platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on, we should 
do a quick introduction and end the podcast here. Tanky, do you maybe want to tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to hear more of your uh, opinions and uh, insights into specifically harvest crafting? I feel like a lot of people really uh, benefited from, from some of the information you shared here. So I am on YouTube. It's really the only platform I'm on, although I do have a Discord which is linked in my newest YouTube video, and I should probably have that linked someplace more central, I'm now realizing. And I use the same name everywhere, so it's really easy to find me. It's my Twitch, it's my YouTube, it's my Discord, it's my Path of Exile name. And, and you That's do it. live stream on uh, YouTube every day? Or uh, uh, you have no. fixed days? I have a fixed stream on Tuesdays, and then I have bonus streams based on when I have time. So every Tuesday, starting around 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or 8 GMT, is when I'll be live streaming. And then I have a few others, depending on the week. You know, if I have a lot of video editing to do, maybe it'll just be the one. If I don't have much to do, maybe it'll be two or three. That's great. Really only one? Oh, okay, well. I, I, I almost thought, I, I see you almost uh, every time I look. There's a new stream that you've streamed at some point. But uh, yeah, that's great. Um, Balor, what, what are your plans for the immediate future? People may already know where you are, but what can they be hyped to see from you? Um, so I am currently trying to fundamentally rework the entire way people do guides. Um, so my focus of most of the next month is going to be to entirely restructure how League Start Guides work. Um, I think they've been done wrong by everyone, including me. So my goal is to fix that. And that's what I'm going to be doing for the next month straight. Um, it's what, 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 what little, did people do wrong? You want to quickly explain that? I don't want to go too far into it because it'll take too long. But the basic premise is people are picking League Start builds based on suggestions from content creators, but we're not asking the single most important question, which is how long does it take you to get to the end game? How long before you are doing tier 15, tier 16 maps? Because that is the most important question when picking a build to go with it. Because certain builds, like my low-life Golemancer that I league started as, is a fantastic league start if you're a day one player. If you get to tier 15, tier 16 maps in day one, fantastic. If you get there on day five, it is not affordable. It's not a good league start, way too expensive. And then you go the other way, like the dominating blow build that I've got is an absolutely fantastic day three or day five person. If you're getting to end game in by day three or day five of a league or, or any time after that, it's fantastic. But if I was to try and league start as a, as a day one player, Trash build, can't get there, can't do it, not worth it. The things it needs don't exist. And I think that's the most important question, and no one's ever asked it before. And I think that needs to be a prominent part in build guides, to have people making the correct decisions for their level of play, not based on how strong other people are. That is very insightful and... Uh... A shift of perspective for my my uh, the way I look at build guides now. Uh, I, I can't wait to see that become uh, implemented in the build guide meta for Path of Exile. 
people get a little bit more information in which situation a, a build would be good for starting and in which it would be bad potentially. Yeah. I make a few build guides. I wouldn't say I really focus my build guides on League Start though, because my guides are heavily endgame focused. That's the aspect of the game I enjoy. That's oh, yeah, where I'm no, absolutely. Yeah, this that's where I'm most knowledgeable. League starts, really. Yeah. And so usually what I do is I specifically don't make league start guides because I know I won't be able to do a good job with it because, well, perfect example of this. People have asked me, what did you do on league start for leveling your purifying flame miner? I played Poison Blade Vortex Assassin. For me, that is totally fine because I knew Poison Blade Vortex Assassin. I knew what I'd have to respec. I knew how to get the gear. But for a lot of people, that's going to be prohibitively expensive to start as one thing and then completely shift like that. And so that's why I don't consider my guides League Start appropriate. If people want to League Start them, a lot of the builds do work for League Start. I think you can League Start Purifying Flame Mine. You can League Start Poison Blade, Fall Blade, Blast, Assassin. That's just not the focus of my content. Yeah. It's fine. That's great. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I think there's there's a lot of it around. And I'm super good. Like, I don't have any of that information in any of my guides. Like, I don't, ha I don't have anything listed as ha how long it should take you to get to red maps if you want to pick this build. It's not listed anyway. No one does that. Yeah, no. But, and guides... I think okay, it so, should. Yeah, should. I, th I think a lot of people do guides wrong. Another really, really big thing is... If you are trying to sell someone that it is a budget build, that if this is the budget is the main selling point of why you should play it, you should not showcase gameplay outside of that budget. And yep, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's why when the last time I did a build that was specifically this is budget, I made sure I had gameplay. You know, with a Poison Blade, Fall Blade, Blast, Assassin, it can be played on a budget. The focus of the guide was not necessarily budget but i have the gameplay going back from you know week one this was my budget version this is how it played you can see all that you know this was me doing the feared on a reasonably budget version then later this is the showcase version where here's my full gear i've spent over 100x on this watch it just blast stuff yeah but a lot of people don't separate that because the end game version footage looks a lot better it's Obviously. why and it, okay, it's also really hard to put together a separate budget gear set. I've run into that in the past. So for another guide that I did that was on a Texlam Chieftain, what I did is I just I literally unequipped certain items. I took off gem links and I took off items so that my health and my damage would be roughly the same as the budget version, and used that as an approximation of fighting serious. You know, this is what it looks like when you have half the damage of a full version and about a thousand less life. Yeah, that's how I practiced for Uber Ziri when I did that uh, a year ago or so in standard. Just I did, ran normal at Ziri's, but I took out links and <laughs> I took out survivability so that I would still get one shot by all kinds of things. Yeah, yep. I'll personally be spending uh, my time next week, this coming week, practicing up for the gauntlet that is being hosted by Zizrin again. This time, a class-based gauntlet. And I'm very determined to perform better than on my previous gauntlet this time. So 
I definitely need to get back into practice, especially after indulging in softcore and dying uh, over a hundred times uh, during the last week, which was fun, but I, I now will get back into a hardcore mindset and hopefully even into a gauntlet mindset. What's cool about the gauntlet this time is that they decided to do only minus 20 instead of minus 40 resist, which opens up uh, the build possibilities quite a bit. And even for, you know, strongest builds it doesn't make a difference when you know, your freedom in gearing is that much better i'm looking forward to seeing uh, what they're doing there and uh yeah that's what you can see me doing uh, on <clears throat> on all the content that i'm doing but uh yeah Th that sums it up about right i think if no one wants to add anything what i want to add before we end is i really want to thank tenki uh, for coming on it was very good and insightful to have you on the podcast i'm sure this is not the last time that we see you on here i was happy to come on i enjoyed it a lot and it's been a great conversation <laughs> thank you likewise and uh yeah next episode of faded connections everyone will be on uh, the 20th of february that's one week into the gauntlet i think the gauntlet will be still running so uh we won't have any guests that are participating in the gauntlet at that point, but maybe we'll have some people who can talk a little bit about the gauntlet on the next episode after that. Um, but as usual, we'll announce the guests somewhere in the week leading up to that next episode. And uh, for those of you who missed the beginning of the episode, you can always find it in full as video on Balor Mages YouTube, as well as on all the podcasting platforms. So that said, Everyone have a good week and uh, I'll wish you the best of success in whatever you're doing. If you're practicing for the gauntlet, try to die uh, not as much as a certain blue-haired broadcaster. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Bye-bye.